Good evening and welcome to El Oso Fumar Takes. This is our 259th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azle, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplissy, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This can be a fantastic show. A first-time guest tonight that I've been waiting a really long time to have on, and it's entirely my fault that it's taken this long. Uh, not our guest's fault at all, and he's been so gracious and so patient uh, and uh, so willing to come on every time I ask him, and it's finally happening tonight. But before we get to formal introductions, I do have to thank uh, the people that make this show possible, and that, of course, is our sponsors, and tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Drew Estate's done it once again bringing back the iconic size of the Papas Fritas, now available in the historic H99 blend. Yes, the Liga Pravada H99 is now available in the iconic Papas Fritas brand size, and it is one to behold. Everyone is excited about Papas Fritas coming with the new H99 blend, and all Drew Estate fans are going crazy. So check out your Drew Diplomat retailers today for the new, yes, the new Liga Pravada H99, Papas Fritas, get your hands on some today and enjoy. And without further ado, everybody, welcome. Welcome to our 259th take. It is my esteemed pleasure to welcome in tonight's guest, sponsored by United Cigars. Smoke one today and start living United, Mr. Ian Reith of Dapper Cigar Company, Inc. And how are you doing tonight? Very good, Bear. Thank you very much for uh, having me on finally. Uh, you are welcome. I am so sorry that it has taken so long uh, to to get you here, and that, like I said, it's entirely it's entirely my fault. So, uh, but uh, it's it's happening finally tonight, and I'm I'm so excited because um, your cigars have been something that I've been uh, so excited. I've been really really enjoying over the last few years, and uh, I've just really. I, I will get we'll get to a little bit more of this here in a little bit, but I I think I've mentioned this to you when I had the opportunity to interview you at uh, the PCA show a couple of years ago. Uh, but I I used to work in retail and I had a customer that probably let's just say he was probably had one of the pickier palates that I've ever met in my entire life, and um, he had no qualms about telling people to their face if their cigar sucked, uh, in his opinion, and. Yeah. Um, and he, like, I mean, this guy, um, pretty much hated everything. I mean, like worse than Aaron Loomis of developing palettes hated everything. Um, and Aaron's at least courteous sometimes like this, this guy was just kind of an asshole. Um, but he comes in one day and he's wearing a hat, dapper cigar company. And I was like, where did you get the hat? And he's like, Oh, the blah, blah, blah. I went to this event or this cut and light or something like that. And he's like, I was like, you're wearing the hat. I was like, did you like the cigars? He's like, yeah, they're really good. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? He's like, they're really good. And I was like, okay, s- slow down, go back again. And he's like, no, they're really good. And, and then he actually get, ended up giving me some. And of course I smoked them and I was like, and I, I agreed with him, but I, he was, he was blown away by him and, uh, and loves your cigars. And so like, it was, uh, it was, it was quite the feat. And in honor of that gentleman and another picky gentleman that I, that we both know, Mr. Aaron Lewis, of developing palettes, I'm wearing his shirt tonight that he gave me uh, because uh, the Dapper La Madrina uh, shade, uh, shade was one of his uh, favorite cigars a couple years back, and uh, and he actually got to tell you on a podcast too. So that's, I mean, that's yeah. that's some high praise from from picky people that I know. So that's why. <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, that's very flattering. I mean, to be honest, it's kind of uh, uh, it makes me feel good about making hats because um that's the whole point like this is the story that 
you want to have people that wear your hats because they're, you know, they're not, they're, uh, they're proud that they uh, want to represent something that, that they really believe in. So that that's uh, very flattering. I mean, it, it makes me feel like we're doing a good thing on that side of it. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you're, you're in a part of the country that we're uh, not really well represented, I think in this, at this point in time. So it's also great to, hear that it was local to you yeah in an area. i always feel like it's uh a place that we could do a lot better in. Yeah. yeah and it was just when you i think it was i mean it wasn't too long after you got started too which is i mean and he still does he still loves your cigars still has the hat and this is a guy who like does not like wear a lot of cigars he's a big cigar smoker i see him all the time still and um still has that hat but is still the same as picky as ever and yeah and but your your cigars for him have stand the taste of time so it's yeah it's it's some pretty it's some pretty high praise from some picky palates that i know man i i uh you gotta you gotta know that you're doing something great but i i, I want to smoke one of the cigars tonight too it looks like you've already lit up, lit up so um as tradition here on the show i always ask my guests to uh choose my cigar for me so i've got some choices that i think you'll like um we talked about this a little bit before the show went and started. Uh, I picked up at Paladin Cigars in Fort Worth, Texas today. Um, I picked up a uh, Siempre Sangrón Toro, uh, a La Madrina Toro. Okay. I'm more of a Robusto guy. Grabbed two Toros, but that's cool. I mean, not a big deal at all. Uh, got a blast from the past, the uh, Cubo Sumatra Robusto. Yeah, okay. And both Desfilitos. Uh, the Disla in the Robusto size, I believe. I believe that's the Robusto. Yeah, yeah. And then the Lonsdale in the original Desfilito. Oh, my God. Well, so if I were to choose based on what I like, uh, I, I, all the cigars, obviously, I, I like to some extent. Uh, but Desfilito Lonsdale, I think, is an exceptionally uh, interesting cigar. I smoke that a lot myself. I haven't lately because we've been backward about three months, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I love that cigar. Uh, I think that's, a, a you know, my personal choice. Um, you know, if we go by rating choices, I would choose other things. If we go by what our sales numbers are, so we choose something else, you know, I mean, if we went by the uh, ratings of the cigars, I think our um, Kubo Sumatra did real well one year. Uh, and then Robusto for uh, Half Wheels, uh, top it made like a top ten list uh, a few years ago. Yeah. And then um, in terms of our sales, like if if you were to smoke what we sell more than anything, then La Madrina would be the uh, the choice. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go different here, and I'm gonna recommend to you what I enjoy smoking, and I would say the Desvalido Lonsdale with the uh, purple label. That that would be the one that. Uh, that I would recommend. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Perfect. So I've got this one here and I'm uh, going to go ahead and give it a cut and a light. And we're going to be by the way, because uh, I don't have any of them. <laughs> <laughs> we're a little backwarded on them. And uh, well, that's a good, uh, I mean, that's a good and bad thing. Obviously no one wants to be backwarded, but I mean, uh, obviously, <laughs> obviously that means they're selling. So that's a good thing. So, um, yeah, yeah, they, they sell for what a Lonsdale sells, you know, it's like, uh, uh it's like this very close to the Lancero, right? You got to kind of be in the 
cigar geeky realm of things to uh, to gravitate towards the Lonsdale sizes, right? Yeah, I I like thinner ring gauges uh, typically. That's why I was I, was, I kind of shocked that I, I picked the Toros today. I, I I just saw them and I just I just grabbed a couple and uh, um and foolish me, I almost I also thought I grabbed an El Baracho, but I didn't apparently, or it's in the other room and I just didn't bring it in here either way. Um, but I had plenty of choices, so I wasn't really sweating it too much. Um, but I do like I do like uh, the nerdier sizes. I like Coronas. I like Lonsdales. I do love Lanceros too, and everything. Um, was uh, what was um, what other uh, Vitolas does the the original Desfolito come in besides the Lonsdale? Yeah, so I mean, we do a standard five by fifty Robusto. We do a six and an eight by fifty two Toro. And then we have kind of a double Corona-ish size. It's like six and three quarter by 54-ish. It's probably should be like a seven by 56, but uh, I've kind of got like a affinity towards not going a little bit too big on the ring gauges. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, of the four sizes, obviously the wheelhouse is Robusto Toro. Um, you know, I can't tell you enough people. I just was at a cigar store earlier today. Had a guy come out of the blue and just tell me that that Robusto is his, daily cigar and it's always nice to hear that kind of stuff when it's a cigar that you really like that that resonates with you and and so that was real nice to to hear and uh that cigar took a long time to kind of come to market and mm -hmm. uh it it was it's it was it just takes it just took a long it just took too long and um i i kind of got a little bit of writer's block and just kept pounding away at it and then it all really worked out for me and of all of the sizes in the in that uh in the desvolito that lonsdale i i really enjoy extremely uh much it's 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 something that whenever i smoke it it like you know kind of puts a smile on my face a little bit okay maybe it was worth beating up <laughs> myself for all those years doing it the the name desvolito it's like one without hope or something like that right yeah, you know, I kind of it's a funny story behind that. I uh, I've always loved the term more than I think the meaning, and I think in Spanish it has different uh, meanings when it comes to Cuban Spanish and regular Spanish. I kind of what really resonated to me more of was the underdog theme of that cigar. So the fact okay. that you're like somebody that um, maybe shouldn't be doing something that's uh, maybe you're uh, counted out. And so that's why all the branding elements of that cigar are kind of very royalesque. They're very contrary to the the name. It's uh, you know the, even the coloring is specifically a very royalish kind of purplish blue. Mm -hmm. The crown elements. Uh, there's a fighting cock in it. Uh, there's a lot of elements to to that cigar that are kind of you know, that play with the idea of being an underdog and, and not being able to do something in the category. It's and funny. It's the first time I've noticed the crowns. And I honestly hadn't thought much about it until a couple of days ago when I was pulling it out and getting ready for the show and everything today. And I spent some time over in uh, the UK last month in, well, no, it's August now. So back in June, uh, earlier this summer. And like, that's what I, when I pulled it up and I saw the, 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 the rooster, it reminded me a lot of a lot of crests I saw while I was over there. So, uh -huh. yeah. So that, yeah. that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I love the core. I love the correlation. So, yeah. So the reason the rooster, it's not only prominent 
you know, from the fighting cock standpoint, not only prominent in Spanish and in uh, Spanish culture, but also it's my year, of, uh, my zodiac kind of year, Chinese zodiac thing. Oh, okay, nice. Uh, if you'll notice, one thing people don't notice at all is uh, there is actually a spike on the foot of the rooster. Oh, I do see that now. Okay, <laughs> and that was a uh, very controversial thing as to whether to leave that in. Um, not to offend any folks in the uh, uh, in the uh, non-violence uh, for animals kind of realm, but uh, yeah, so there's a lot of like hidden things in the band, uh, little Easter eggs. Yeah, I was gonna say I like I like Easter eggs and imagery, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Well, fantastic. Yeah, we're gonna um, we'll dive a little bit more, I guess, into Desfolito here because I, I I was really excited. You said that it took a while to come to market and everything about this. Um, what was it about this project in particular that was so like was so challenging for you then? Was it just like the I mean, blend wasn't coming together right? Or I mean Yeah, at the you know, at the time, um we we kind of so to take people back, this was in the FDA registry period. So this was the weird period where all of us boutique cigar manufacturers didn't know if we would continue being able to make cigars because of the FDA registrations and the looming FDA um, uh, guidelines and the warning labels were the first part of it, et cetera. And so in preparation for all of that, we had made a bunch of brands uh, ahead of time. And uh, we had done Siempre, Siempre Sungrown, Siempre Zotto, El Baracho, La Madrina. We'd made a bunch of brands. And one of the brands that I'd done was Desbolito. And we wanted, I, I wanted to save that one specifically for what I felt like was a blend that I could truly, like, I could truly, truly say was like my cigar. And um, from, a, from not only the branding perspective, not that I didn't want to be associated with being a drunkard uh, or whatever, but uh, I wanted to really have this cigar as the one that that I really, really knuckled down on, really figured out what I wanted to be impressed with in terms of a blend, in terms of everything I liked about cigars from the wrapper presentations, from the uh, retro hail that you get, from the complexity that you get, all of these things. I wanted it to all come together and I wanted that brand to resonate for me because of, you know, obviously the underdog theme, uh, the theme I remember telling my Cuban friends the name of it, and they were just like, oh, my God, you can't call it that. You should never call it that. And um, uh, so, yeah. And that's was, what you were saying. I'm going to call it that. <laughs> I'm calling it that. Yeah, no. and, and you know what? I'll be honest with you. I it, 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 Everything was kind of uh, a little bit uh, uneasy. And I think one of, like, I remember it going on half wheel. And I remember describing the blend a little bit and stuff. and the one comment that I was like, I, I still remember is really tickled by it was, I think Steve Sockett said something very nice about the blend or about wanting to try the blend and loving the brand. And I was like, oh shit, that's great. Like, <laughs> cause yeah, I just thought that that's uh, to have somebody that's uh, a good brander that's been in the industry a long time. It's just so hard to figure out what you're going to do in terms of a cigar, in terms of a brand, in terms of how it wants to feel, how you want to taste, I, you know, all these things that are very difficult to do when you come to market with a product. So yeah, I was very, I, I was, um, 
I was happy that it was, it took the time that it took to get the blend, how I wanted it and, um, and how the packaging came out. It, it, it all kind of came together. And, you know, it's not our best selling cigar to this date, uh, but it sells well and um, it resonates well. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, it's one of the uh, projects I'm, I'm proud of in terms of uh, what we've, what we've made, you know. Well, especially since you put so much time into it, it's it's good to see like that, like you said, it's it. I mean, it may not be the number one cigar in your portfolio, but it's something that that you're you obviously can be proud of, and that it's you know really resonated with your with your consumers and everything. So that's that's great. Um, I am digging the retro hill on this thing. That's what's really great about it. Now, what I like about this too, or what has caught my attention specifically, is I don't like a I don't like a super loose straw. And of course, nobody likes a plug draw, but I do like a little bit of resistance on my draw. We talk, uh, Coop and I talk about this all the time. It's like the per- we call it the, we call it our perfect draw, which is we equivocate to basically a milkshake, essentially, just that little bit of a pull. And yeah. this ha- and this has that, and uh, and I, I really like it. So, um, um, that's tough. I mean that. I, I agree with you. I think that I'm on the same page in terms of what you like in terms of a draw. The I was just explaining to somebody the other day that the problem with getting that draw is you you're like walking the tightrope between plugs, you know, and uh, and not plugs, and it's such a fine tightrope. And um, you know, when you get to the plug category, it's like you run the risk of uh, of, of losing that customer because mm. of of a of a of a tight cigar and so i think there's a consumer expectation these days with how well cigars are made in general i think there's a consumer expectation to have that draw that you're talking about to have the weight and the feel of something that's substantially packed but the ability to draw from it and and, and whatnot yeah and uh i mean it's actually really funny like i've had um uh the last like four cigars this weekend including uh this one that I've smoked have had that that perfect draw. So it's been a really great weekend for me because I've definitely gone on runs where it's gone the opposite direction. <laughs> and it's always nice to it's always nice to just to 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 obviously not have that problem and just go on a run and stuff. So um but I'm I'm like I said I'm really enjoying it so far. I've I've even though that that there's a there's a firmer draw to this I'm already kind of I'm already kind of puffing it down and uh like I said the retro hail is very unique, so I'm I'm really looking forward to. It. Um, so I'll I'll be honest with you, I didn't I didn't tell you this before because I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to impact your decision. This is my first one. This is my first Desfolito, so I I'm excited. I'm excited. So works well for both of us. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, but um, but I mean that uh, I before we go into our major point here, there was something that I was um, I've been meaning to ask you. Uh, every time I meet you, because um, and I and I have a funny story because after I used Google, I thought it was hilarious. Um, but the the last name Reith is that um, what 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 ethnic origin is that? Yeah, so that's a German last name. Oh, okay. Uh, however, the the you know I'm I, I don't have a lot of Germanic roots. Uh, my grandfather uh, was adopted by a German farming family in the Ohio region. Interesting. Uh, so yeah, my my grandfather, uh, my father, well, my my father's father uh, was a orphan, 
and um, and he was adopted by a German farming family, and so he took on their last name as a uh, that was the right thing to do, or what he felt was the right thing to do for the family that adopted him, and they adopted him, I believe, in his uh, his early uh, teenage years. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um... I know you've lived all over the place and everything. We'll get to that here in a second with our major point. But the the, the funny story I had with Google is I was looking for images, uh, public images to use, put up for our advertisement for tonight's show and use. So I Googled, you know, Ian Reith. I was like, surely I, I said Ian Reith. Uh, I did Ian Reith first and then I do like Ian Reith cigars or Ian Reith Tavern. And then I Google image search. The first thing that pops up is apparently this really stellar high school basketball player that couldn't look any different from you, which is hilarious. Uh, but <laughs> this 17 year old kid who's apparently really great at basketball uh, named Ian Reith spelled the same way and everything. So um, I was, uh, <laughs> that was, that was quite funny as I pulled that up. Yeah. No, no relation. And there's also a gentleman named Brad Reith who's like apparently a prominent retailer online oh okay deal cigars or something like that oh uh, interesting yeah and you know uh, he's and he's a quite a big dude he's like he's jacked you know he's like completely jacked and doesn't look anything like me and uh, and i don't even we don't even sell cigars to him, so it's not like i have a skin uh, that's funny <laughs> oh that's hilarious <laughs> but yeah exactly uh exact same uh last one of the name and he's like out of uh Arizona, or I think he's out of Phoenix, or, or oh, he's know. even on that side of the country too. That's crazy. Oh, I, I know, I know. He's like a really nice guy, but uh, yeah, Brad Reed. Apparently, he's very prominent online. If you look it up for uh, retail sales for cigars, it's like Dave Dave Garofalo of two guys, and then there's a John Garofalo spells like Garofalo the same way, uh, and they're both cigar retailers and not related at all, <laughs> all at all, and. Uh, I fe- yeah, because I when I, I uh, John Garofalo has a apparently a, a cigar brand too that he you know does a few accounts with. Uh, they're pretty good cigars. They're I think they're made by Aganorsa and uh, um, and uh, I guess uh, oh, a friend of mine was like talking to him about the cigars and stuff. Like, hey, are you related to Dave? And he's like, no, absolutely not. Not even you know nothing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's just too funny. Um, but that's that's funny that there's a Brad Reith on that side of the country that's a retailer too. So that's that's funny. Uh, <laughs> but that kind of leads me into uh, our major point because I wanted to talk a little bit about your family because it's uh, to me it's what I've heard is there's so many interesting things about it. So we'll get to tonight's major point, which is always brought to you by the people. Yes, cigar people, the people who know everything about a lifetime of service. Protocol cigars is more than just pool parties and good times. Well, maybe it is. But behind the motivation is a motivation for service, a motivation for giving back. From the original Protocol Blue to the latest release in the Lawman series, Phoebe Cousins, Protocol has always been about honor, passion, and yes, the people. It's what their life's work has been and always will be about. Power of the P, Protocol, Cigars. Um, so uh, we talked about your grandfather. Um, and uh, and then, but I know your dad had made a, it was a major influence on your life and and you know, how you got into cigars and stuff like that. Um, but he was also a, a military man, which led to you move like living all over the place. Cause you were actually born in, in South Korea, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm uh, half South Korean and half like Scottish Irish. Um, matter of fact, I, I think Hence the Ian, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Actually, yeah. And I, I, ironically, had my great my grandfather not been adopted, I think my last name would have been O'Robin. 
which would have really oh. been true. That would have been um, pretty confusing for people. Um, yeah. Beatles commercial, basically, is what I would have been. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, my father was in the service. He was in the Air Force. Uh, and, and to be fair, most of my family uh, are in the military. So my father uh, was in the Air Force uh, and uh, he didn't start that way. He started in the Navy and then he ended up in the Air Force. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, he actually, yeah, he went to the Naval Academy for a little bit and then he got out and he went to the, the Air Force. And my my uncles, uh, I have an uncle that was a Green Beret in the Army. His That was his older brother. His other uh, younger brother was in the Navy. Um, his, uh, his oldest sister was the air force, you know, so, and then his father was in the, uh, in the army as well. Uh, he's a tank guy. And so that's where like the, uh, major Mike's themes comes right. from. Yeah, right. my, my dad is a mate. He was a major and his name is Mike. And so that why, that's why the shade and he smokes shade cigars a bit. And so that's why the shade version is major Mike's in the shade. And then the army one, his father was an army uh, major and he's a tank guy. So that's why there's a tank on the on the army version. But yeah, my entire family is very military. But my father, uh, you know, I wouldn't be really into I probably wouldn't be into cigars at all. And I wouldn't be doing anything with cigars had I not grow up, grown up with my father smoking cigars. Now, you know, my father didn't smoke expensive cigars. He couldn't, you know, the cigars were uh that we're enjoying and, and smoking today. They're like JR bundles, right? That's what uh, he used to gravitate towards. Yeah. And, and, and to take it back even further and kind of like, just go to show you how small the world can be. Sometimes my father uh, did buy a lot of JR bundles uh, back from JR cigars back in the nineties. And uh, he was buying cigars uh, from, uh, you know, newsletters and things that were basically marketing materials from Steve Saka and the cigars that were being Holy made. kidding, man. That is a small world. Uh, and the cigars that were made were made at Noxa, where I'm making cigars today. And so, no shit. Yeah. So this is how small the world uh, really is. And I've talked wow. to Steve about this stuff and it's that's why I've you know, I've kind of pieced together the history of all this, but um, yeah, it's, it goes to show you, you know, I was a kid and this was a guy that was buying uh, cigars from news. My father was buying cigars, cheap cigars, uh, affordable cigars from newsletters from JR uh, written by a guy uh, marketed to by a guy that's a legend in the business, Steve Saka. He's had a lot of input in the branding of everything and uh, made at a factory that I now make, you know, all of our cigars that uh, are on the market. So what a trip, right? Wow. <laughs> wow, man. That's cool. That man, God, I, I forgot. I, I didn't make that connection because I, I remember hearing it in an interview once where you did, where you talked about your dad buying from JR's and, and the magazines and stuff like their news or catalogs or whatever. Yeah. But I forgot. I forgot Steve worked for them. Yeah, that's crazy. He was, he was their head of marketing for a number of years. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. What a nut. What a what a trip, right? Like, yeah. A, I, I'm serious. I'm, I'm like, yeah. I'm thrown off, man. I really am. That's crazy. That's. I mean, that's such yeah. a small world. It. It just goes to. Sh well, we always. I mean, this industry is so tiny anyway. Like everybody, like 
I was trying to explain this to people outside of the industry, like uh, in, in, in particular, my mother who really doesn't get it either. And she was like, well, what do you go, what do you do at this trade show thingy? And I was like, well, at the thingy, you know, I, I, I get to talk to, you know, a lot of people that manufacture cigars and, and, yeah. uh, and, and she's like, oh, well, that, that's, my, that, that sounds really interesting. And I was like, it, it is, it is. I was like, there's some really great stories. And she's like, well, tell me one. Uh, and so I've told her a few. And so I'm, I'm going to go back and tell this story. Uh, she probably yeah. won't get as big of a charge out of it as I did, but that's fine. Uh, but it's, 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 <laughs> it, it's, it, it's, I was trying to explain to her how small, the, how like large, but how small the community really is and how like a lot of people know everybody. And uh, um, so that's, I mean, that's a perfect example of it. So, um, crazy, crazy. It, so going back to like, again, you, you know, everybody in the my, my father is a veteran too, which is what part of what I really like about the major Mike story and about your story too, in particular, uh, how much time when you were born, I know, I know you said you're half Korean. So that's obviously where your mother, mother's from, but, like, did you guys spend a lot of time there because of the military? I mean, you moved pretty young. Yeah, I mean, we, I didn't, um, I was born there and I spent my first few years there, first couple years there um, in Seoul. Um, but my, uh, after that, I'd, I'd lived all over the country and I'd lived in, um, I mean, you name it, but Anchorage uh, Air Force Base, um, uh, Elmendorf Air Force Base. In Anchorage, yeah, Alaska. my brother-in-law was stationed there. Yeah, yeah, uh, I got gotcha. you. Uh, I, I kind of spent a, a a large amount of time uh, as a child or in my early teens um, in Biloxi, Mississippi, so uh, Keyser mm -hmm. Air Force Base. And so that's where I kind of tell people where you're from because, you know, if you're, you know, as a people in the military, military brats, you, you, you're you never really from anywhere but you kind of take the place that you were the longest and that's kind of where you were from. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I spent time there, Travis Air Force Base, Fairfield, California, uh, Tyndall, you know, uh, my father actually went to grad school for a bit. So I lived in Richmond, Virginia, cause he went to uh, Virginia Commonwealth while he was in the service, they sent him to grad school. And so, yeah, I kind of uh, San Antonio, Texas, you name another, it. My father, another bigger force town. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My father was actually, he went to high school at Waco high. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Know, okay. Most of my father's family is all in Texas. We have family in San Antonio, Texas and Austin, Texas and Waco, Texas. Uh, uh, you name it. Well, now I don't know about Waco anymore, uh, but various places in Texas, uh, Dallas. Uh, my dad spent some time in Austin. And, I mean, uh, a lot of my family, I mean, by all rights, I should probably be living in Texas. That's probably uh, what would have made more sense. But uh, I ended up here in California after my father retired from the service. So, yeah, I lived everywhere a little bit and, you know, did the whole uh, military brat thing. Um, what it, what it, this is a place that really doesn't come up very much in my conversations. So, I mean, you claim again, you just explained why you claim it and everything. What was like, what were some of your like fonder memories of Biloxi, Mississippi? Like, what did you really enjoy about it? Man, I, I, I love Biloxi, Mississippi. I'll be honest with you. I uh, joke about it all the time that I want to retire there. Um, and, and not maybe in Biloxi, maybe in Ocean Springs. But uh, when I was there, I, I had a very, uh, well, one, um, even though I'm in California, I think anybody that grows up in the South has an affinity for the South. There's just a certain um, affinity, regardless of the weather, 
regardless of the um, uh, of any of the bad things. Like I remember being in Mississippi at that time, and people were would joke that of the 50 educational systems in the country, Mississippi was ranked number 50. <laughs> but I always thought it was great. I had lots of great friends. I, I had a very diverse group of friends growing up in the military, something, <laughs> that, something that I think uh, people don't get. Um, even my own kids, they don't get that sort of diversity because when you're in the military, there's, a, there's just a large, diverse number of ethnicities and races and everything you know we had kids on the military base that uh their fathers were turkish uh they were turkish because their fathers were or i'm sorry israeli because their fathers uh were f-16 pilot uh fighter pilots that were training uh cross training and you know you have such a diverse group of people that you meet from all over the world and so growing up there it was really great to meet all those people and um and and it was you know growing up on a military base is also very safe people don't uh you know like today i take for granted that but it used to be you know and i think today and i don't know about texas where you live but there's a certain element that you feel of danger with your kids um oh yeah you know, letting them go out, letting them just roam around, be home uh, whenever you'd like. And, and growing up on military bases, there, there really wasn't a sense of danger ever. It was a sense of you can kind of go and be a kid and do whatever you'd like to do. And your parents didn't have to worry about your physical safety. And so being in the South, also being in the military, it was great. It was, it was really a great childhood. I wish my kids could have that kind of childhood. Uh, and I wish they could make the kind of friends that you make uh, you know, living close to people, you know, when, when you live in uh, military housing and all your houses, are, you're all the same, you know, you share yeah. carpets with people, you have to mow your lawn every week. You, you know, you got to put the flag out in the front of the house. You know, there's, there's uh really endearing elements to all that stuff. And so I missed a lot of that. I'm, I'm glad that I went through it as a child. Um, and, and so, you know, Biloxi and, and uh, the South, it kind of really, and growing up on military bases, it really had a profound impact on on the person I am and and, uh, and the people that I value and uh, the kind of uh, life that comes with that, you know. Well, I always say, you know, we're, we're always, you know, we could always use more cool people in Texas. So if you and your family ever want to move out here, you know, you, your guys are welcome. So yeah, thank you. we might be there. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of people from your state are already flocking here anyways. You might as well join them, you know? So. Yeah. And I apologize about that. <laughs> <laughs> I tell everybody I know, I'm like, all right, man, I'm just going to tell you. Uh, we're from California and it, from people from Texas. I go, look, man, I'm sorry. We're, a lot of people are moving tonight. <laughs> I can't bet them all, but no. Uh, <laughs> no but Texas is a great, great state. And what I love about Texas, I, 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 I visit there a little bit for family, a little bit for business. But what I always love about Texas more than anything are the people. Uh, there's a sense of genuineness and a sense of kindness. And, and I think that also extends to the South. Not to say yeah. that people are not kind in California or they're not kind anywhere else, but I think there's just, there's just a certain sense of that Southern kindness <laughs> that really permeates in Texas. And there's also a sense of um, 
And I don't know if it's a good thing, but people from Texas are usually generally very proud to from Texas. And I think, Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. And I think yeah. and that's endearing. I think that resonates with people. And I think everybody would like to feel that same way about their state. Yeah. And, um, and, but people from Texas are always genuinely proud to be a Texan and that uh, you have to love that. Well, I, whenever I travel abroad and I mentioned I traveled to the UK earlier this summer and everything, like whenever people ask me where I'm from, I would I, I tell them the truth. I don't lie to them. I'm just like, hey, I'm yeah, I'm te- I'm Texan. I'm from Texas, and I mean, it was we were in the bar, we were in a bar in Edinburgh, Scotland, the World's End. Yes, the bar with the World End, the World's End, like of movie fame and everything like that. But um, which has a great story, and it was like really cool to be there and everything. Um, there was a there's a group of guys I was in line to get a beer and there's a group of guys next to me and that like, they heard my American accent. They're like, Oh, where are you from? And I Texas. like, I don't, I mean like, Oh, they ended up buying my, my wife and I, you know, beers. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was like, it was like the best, the best thing ever. And, and one of them was like really funny. He was like, he's like, yeah. I was like, Hey, you guys are welcome in Texas anytime. He's like, Oh no, I wouldn't be welcome. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, I'm a communist. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, we, we we take all types, man. It's it's all good. I'm like, you bought me a, you bought me a beer. You can't be that bad. Uh, um, you good? Yeah. So, like we we got them too. We got yeah, them here. Yeah. I was like, you could you could totally you could buy a round or two, man. I think no one would give a shit. So it's it's totally fine. Uh, that's 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 really great. But um, I I think it's a what you were talking about with the the friendliness of the South. I think it's a it's a it's a familial kindness. Like people are kind all over, as you mentioned, but it's it's very much like like they 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 welcome you or are kind to you is like in in the way that you you are to relatives yeah. like that's that it's the fam- what i call familial kindness like people are just genuinely nice every place, other places but right. it, you're right it's different it's you're they're nice for because they're nice people not because they you know they're treating you like you're their long lost cousin or something it's different you right know? so right. um yeah. But getting back to your dad with like smoking cigars and everything, and I know you said like he didn't really, you know, get into like like what we're smoking ter- too often. And um, what was it about? Like, was it just because it was your dad and you wanted kind of want, like most sons they want to be like him? Like, what was it about the cigar smoking that attracted you to cigar smoking at a younger age? You know, I don't, I don't know if I was uh, particularly attracted to it when I was younger because I know my mom had complained about it quite a bit. <laughs> uh, it, it wasn't exactly on her best of uh, his attributes, but it was one of those things where uh, he just enjoyed it so much. And and my dad wasn't a social smoker, even for my, for a lot of my career, especially being in the cigar business, we're in kind of the mode of social smoking. We go to cigar stores, we smoke with other people. We, um, uh, it's a it's a point of congregation. A lot of my friends that I've met over the years, they're people that are cigar smokers. Um, so my my when I look back on my father, my father wasn't a social cigar smoker. He was a solitary cigar smoker, but he really was. It, it really did, you know, speaking for him. And I, I don't know if he would tell me this exactly, but he, from what I gathered, he really looked forward to being able to have a little bit of solace and enjoying a cigar with a good glass of whiskey or a good glass of scotch 
in his uh, reflection at night and being able to escape it. You know, he had a lot of responsibility in the service and, and um, he had a stressful job. And I think what was uh, what resonated was how uh, how much he enjoyed that and how much actual genuine peace it kind of brought to his life. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, and I always kind of knew that when dad's out back smoking a cigar and having his his glass, that's his time. You know, that's that's his time to unwind and, and reflect and, and, and prepare for the next day. And uh, so I'd always looked at that end of it. And then I'd always looked at the other end of his joy of reading these catalog things and learning about these cigars from the marketing materials and Steve Saka, barely from yeah i know <laughs> and then waiting for the the products to come so he could put them in his igloo you know he used to have these igloo humidors that you know the igloo uh coolers that he would put in there and i remember he'd show me how to make a little the one tumble. where you press the button and it slides the thing back yeah there. oh man one. yeah and then he would show me he would use these little tupperware um you know canisters and he would take a a sponge. I mean, this was before Boveda. This, sure. this is like, uh, yeah, you take the sponge and you fill it with distilled water and you poke holes in the top of the Tupperware and you'd set that puppy in the, you know, in the, uh, in the little humidor. It's pretty innovative, man. Well, you know, it's, you know, like I said, my, you know, anybody I think in the military knows you're, you're, you're not getting paid tremendously. You're, you're on a fixed income. Um, you know, you're, uh, you, you don't have the means generally in the military to be a uh, big ball in it. And so there was no uh, diamond crown humidors in his life or anything with uh, <laughs> packs. And, you know, there's no sophisticated humidifications that were affordable back then. And, and he was, uh, for him, I think the true beauty of it is that he enjoyed cigars for what they were without any branding or without any of the hype it was about enjoying cigars and, yeah. and have to make it influence you and you know god i wish i wish we could all maybe be a little bit more like that i wish in some respect we could not from a brand perspective because gosh man we'd have to make our cigars cheaper and remove the bands and um <laughs> and 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 not have a lot of selling points uh, but um, but that that was very admirable, and that's what made an impression on me when he was uh, going through uh, when my childhood, and he was enjoying cigars, and, and that's what I saw, and that later would make a big impression to me in my twenties when I was in the same point when I needed to lean on cigars to provide a little bit of that stress release, a little bit of that no escape time, yeah. It's funny, this is going to come up a little bit later in our conversation, but like going back to the Major Mike's project, you know, like obviously you make cigars with that are, you know, with a lot more rare tobaccos and refined tobaccos and, and everything. But you, I mean, when you created Union Break, I remember having this conversation with you and you, I think you put the same kind of TLC into Major Mike's too. Those cigars don't smoke like value cigars. Right. I mean, the major mics I've had and like, holy cap, holy crap. And those things are fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, just like, yeah. it's like, this is, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying this way too much. Like, it's like, what are like, am I, I'm getting away with something here. Like, cause I'm like, letting up those <laughs> things. 
that's the number that's the number one thing that we get people tell us about the major mics is that there's no way that this should be your budget cigar and i like that because um i i tell people i go to be fair even though the major mics are a bunch of cigars um price wise the tobacco that you're smoking is the same tobacco that we use on all of our premium cigars they're just blended together in a mix and they're sandwiched in a, in a sandwich format Right. They're not a pure long filler, but in terms of the quality of the tobacco, in terms of the, um, in terms of all of the ingredient components, you know, we're doing the same thing that we, we do with all of our premium sticks. And um, I always think back, you know, I, I had a conversation with my dad when I started uh, making cigars at first. And I think he, I think he was a little bit skeptical at first. And then I remember making our first cigars and they were shade cigars, Cubo Clara. And I, and I remember sitting on the back patio with him and he smoked the cigars and he goes, Ian, he goes, you know, these cigars are better than the ones that I ever smoked when, when, when I was in the service and stuff. And I always thought, well, you know, he's just a father being nice. He's just trying to like, you know, he's just trying to, uh, build me up and I appreciate that stuff. And then after I knew about what kind of cigars were being made at that time period, I'm like, yeah, dad, those are actually way better cigars than the ones yeah. you ever smoked. You're, you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, what it, it's interesting, like about the time that like he was smoking everything, like the I'm assuming this is like early 90s, late 80s, mid 90s, oh. around that range, like. Like, I mean, that was a time too when like the cigar market was really flooded with like, it was the boom, right? So like, that was like, there was a lot of poor quality. And and yeah. today, like the, even with the renaissance that we've had in the last five years with like newer brands and and, and everything like that, there's the, the, the quality of the tobacco, the quality of the blending and everything. There might be something that doesn't speak to people's palates. Yeah. But like overall, I would say as a general rule, there really, there really isn't like cigars out there that are just absolute, just like dog shit. Um, There are ones that I definitely don't like, and there's ones that are definitely not good. But I I, I have to imagine that it's that's just so much different because I mean, even when I started smoking, I I started smoking on my 18th birthday, so we're talking you know you know early 2000s, and the, the humidors now are just drastically different than than the humanoids that i went into very early on in my late teens right. and early 20s and the cigars are so much better yeah. um and that's i mean that i mean that's a credit to people like you Ian, that like really took the time to really work with you know work with the people that you're working with and so uh, i i do i don't want to escape this part of the story real quick because i i, I, I want to go back to something because again it being a small world and connecting the dots so if if your dad was in the military contemporary around that time that means your grandfather who was a tank guy was that nom was that vietnam was he in was vietnam war, uh so my grandfather was in world war ii in the korean war so yeah okay about eight years of combat time which was very okay. usual and um, I think it was seven to eight years of combat time in, in between the two. He was a tank guy in Korean War, and he was an infantry guy, Battle of the Bulge in uh, in World War II. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So he, he was a hard ass. He was a, an original hard ass. And, um, and he was uh, uh, 
he was in the army the entire time and he uh he was a wartime you know accommodated officer uh so he it's not like he went to college and became an officer he was actually promoted from from uh from uh the nco ranks or whatever the lower ranks are um the term escapes me right now but no that's right non-commissioned officer to commissioned yeah. officer yeah yeah so uh there's some stipulations around that but uh yeah so my my grandfather uh, very influential on me, not a cigar smoker, uh, uh, certainly a whiskey drinker, uh, certainly a drink, not a uh, cigar smoker. Um, that's something that I think was very unique to my my father, um, but uh, certainly very influential in my life. And just um, the, um, uh, you know, being born as an orphan and then going through, you know, a couple wars. And, you know, I've always thought, you know, small weird circles or small circles of history you know i've always thought how weird would it have been for my father my grandfather to have thought that his grandchild would be half korean so it's like you you're literally fighting in a country you know <laughs> that uh, eventually one of your grandchildren uh is half from that country that you were fighting in so i always thought that was a an interesting thing and He'd actually spent a lot of time in Germany. I think my father, my father was actually born in Germany because my grandfather was stationed in Germany after the war, after World War II. And so, yeah, crazy, um, uh, crazy history there. And a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, interesting, uh, uh, interesting things. Yeah. The reason I was asking was particularly was, um, um, my father was a tank guy in Vietnam. So that's why I was like, man, if, if they're both tank guys in Vietnam, like this is way too weird. Like there's too many connections <laughs> here. That's that's nuts. But um, yeah, my, my dad's oldest brother was in Vietnam. So my dad's oldest brother, Red Reef, is uh, he was a, a Green Beret in Vietnam. Oh uh, wow, okay. He was the uh, he was the badass of the group apparently, and still is. Uh, but uh, yeah, he was the one that that served in Vietnam. Right. So so fast forward. Um, to you know you you're an adult now like you're starting to smoke cigars and enjoy them and everything so what what was the what was the uh what was the catalyst or the crazy thing that happened in your life like man i'm gonna i'm gonna give this a try and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna start my own cigar company and yeah that's yeah you know you, know, you just i think it's a guy trait right you know we uh we get into things heavily it's a, it seems to be something that um, is a prominent theme in my life. And it, when I was in my early 20s, I started getting into cigars heavily as a social element, as a relaxation element. Um, and, um, you know, at some point after you're doing that, you, you kind of figure, oh, well, maybe it might be kind of cool if we just make, if I made a few cigars, and even if I don't sell them, I'll, you know, smoke them myself and it'll be great be fun it will be something to talk to people about you know it's, it's kind of similar to all the guys that do uh microbrewery right right there's, no, there's all these guys that you know they go into their garage and they go yeah i want to make some i want to make my own beer and that's that was my thing i wasn't into microbrews i was into well can we make my own cigar it was a little it was a a challenge and uh, it was just a challenge that stuck and it was just a hobby that turned into a business that turned into something bigger and um yeah so that it very uh, non-purposeful origins, you know? I mean, when you originally started, I mean, did you, did you think where it would be where it's at today? I no. mean, no, no, never. No, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought ever that, um, 
that um, that we would sell as many cigars as we sell or make as many cigars or even make the level of cigars that we're making today. I, I would have never thought that, you know, I, it, it, it just, it was too far. Uh, even, even if you asked me in the first three years after doing it and trying to sell some cigars, I would have never thought we would be lured at. It's just, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, maybe I don't have that optimistic of an outlook or, or maybe I'm just not that big of a dreamer, but, um, it, it's just hard, you know, I mean, you're always thinking about the the problems that you have today and you're always thinking about how can I just get to the next, the next milestone, but to, to go from, you know, from one, you know, from making a couple thousand cigars to making hundreds of thousands, of, it's, it's a different, it's a different ball game and, and it's tough. It's not, um, you know, I, I, I'd love to say that the cigar business was, was akin to maybe the tech business or, maybe other businesses or other success stories that are very uh, explosive or exponential in growth. But the, the cigar business for me has always been a very, uh, it's always been a very linear, slow growth kind of thing. Yeah. So what are you forecasting for 2023? Like how many hundreds of thousands or thousands of cigars are you looking at? I don't know. I'm, I, I mean, I hope that we can make half a million to three quarters of a million cigars um, wow. I, okay. I hope that we can make. I, I I don't know. You know, I I don't count things equally either. You know, because we make a lot of brands for other people. Uh, we make white labels for some folks now. We have a bunch of white label projects. We sell some cigars internationally. We make a lot of small cigars. Obviously, uh, bundle cigars. You know, they kind of crutch your uh, your numbers, right? Because uh, selling a bundle cigars is a little bit different than selling a premium cigar. They just sure a lot faster. So yeah, yeah. But I don't but know. It, we'll see. It's great that I, the, what I think that's really great about in your in your young time in the industry is that you've you've still very much diversified your portfolio to to appeal like to the masses. I mean, like you have the you, like you said, you have the bundles, which are important. Um, you know, they're they're not they're not they they keep the lights on for for like these these projects like like Desfolito and stuff like that. You know, that's it's 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 yeah. It's great. I, I mean, I'm for me. My goal is right now. I just think about trying to make all the cigars that fit all the the categories, right? Um, you know, I look at what we've done, and I go, well, even though we've done all these things, I still feel like we need to make this category of cigar, this bracket of cigar. You know, with major mics, okay, we've got a great shade budget cigar, and we got a great habano budget cigar, but well, there's more branches of services, right? So there you go. <laughs> We can't ignore the branches of services and there's other uh, things like that. We don't make very, you know, we've not made to this date uh, what I consider to be ultra premium cigars. Now. Yeah. I heard you talk about this in another interview, like that's that's something on the horizon eventually for you, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. We're deep into that. And we, you know, I I do want to make cigars of what some of my friends call our quote unquote aspirational cigars. I, I mean, I, it's an oxymoron because I believe we all, I think a lot of our cigars are all aspirational cigars. We try to make the very best cigars we can, but um, can we make cigars that maybe one day stand beside Davidoff's in terms of the retail presence, stand beside Padron, stand beside Opus X, stand beside uh, Atabase, et cetera. These are what I consider to be, you know, uh, ultra premium uh, cigars. So, you know, yeah, working on, uh, yeah, working. 
Uh, my uh, no, we're, we're, we're working on those cigars because I, I want to have uh, a product for every, every price point and every use case, you know, that's awesome. I, I think what's really, like I said, I think that's, that it's been really, that's why I think that's why your company has been so well received and everything. Cause like you said, I mean, without I, minus that, that aspect of it that you're working on now, I mean, it's still a wide breadth of, of offerings for, for, for so many people. Now the, I know the name Dapper came from, I guess you were, you were, it was in the early stages of when you were with working with Kubo and I guess someone, someone had the kind of the Eureka, what we call the Eureka moment and said, this, this is a Dapper cigar. Yeah. And that that was name. the name. So. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing was purposeful in that perspective. I, you know, we were struggling to find a, uh, um, some sort of a brand, you know, what we call ourselves. I unfortunately didn't have a Cuban last name or didn't have anything that I could, you know, throw out there that, that I could make as a, you know, heritage kind of brand. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, just little moments like that, uh, as gimmicky or as non gimmicky as things turn out to be. Um, yeah, it's just, it's all been kind of a journey on, on, you know, all those various fronts. What do you call the brand? What do you, you know, even today, we make a lot of cigars that are very Spanish-themed and Spanish-oriented. Um, I can't tell you the number of customers that whenever I tell them, you know, the El Baracho meets the drunkard, they're just, they're, they're tickled to death. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I remember, yeah, I remember when I, like, I was telling you the story, the origin story of when I first heard about your brand and I was doing some research on it and I was like, Dapper Cigar Company, one of their, one of their cigars is the El Baracho. And I was like, well, that's an interesting spin um, on, 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 on Dapper. So that's, that, that works. But uh <laughs> I mean, you start you started with the with the Cubo in a smaller factory and 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 uh you know and just in the interest of time I wanted to fast forward a little bit. You decided to make the move to Tanoxa, as you mentioned, uh, you know, you alluded to earlier. That's where all your cigars are made now currently, correct? Yeah. Um this is a I mean, this is a factory that is, I mean, I mean, for all intents and purposes, is 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 just like like scorching hot right now. Um they make some of your cigars and they make some of you know, like Patina is made there. And of course, you know, you know, Steve Saka, we've mentioned him a few times tonight. His cigars are made there too. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, what was it about Noxa in particular that, that, that attracted you initially when you were thinking about the idea of make of making a production change somewhere? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't, Noxa had no bearing. The, the factory had no bearing as to, making cigars like i i i never would have thought that we would make cigars at noxa and the only reason we make cigars at Knox is because um i i had become friends uh very close friends with a guy named gustavo cura who runs uh oliva tobacco's operations in nicaragua and um and and he was at the time involved with the retro fitting of noxa and as part of that Raul Diesla came in as a blender and he was very involved in turning this factory around with Raul and the Oliva tobacco family. And so because of my relationship with Gustavo and, and, and therefore Raul and therefore uh, Oliva tobacco, um, uh, that that's what angled me to work 
out of Knox is because of my uh, my sincere you know admiration for Gustavo as as having he's my tobacco guidance and uh, my 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 you know dear mentor per se. Um, that's what uh, led me to make cigars at Noxa. And then subsequently, you know, Raul, uh, working with Raul and, and having a production manager with that sort of skill set and having the access to tobacco that Oliva Tobacco Company has, that is what led me to, to, to put my chips there. Uh, and, and, um, and now Noxa is very, um, has a very good name. In, in the cigar premium cigar community, but it wasn't that way 10 years ago. It was very, very different. And, and probably it wasn't even that way, maybe five or six years ago. So a lot of work has been done at that factory to really transition to a factory that made lots of uh, economy cigars to a, a factory that makes also some very, very good premium cigars. And fortunately, Due to guys like Steve Figueroa, et cetera, that make cigars there, good cigar makers. That's what kind of uh, that's what got me in there. And I and I, I always tell people I feel like the guy that went to the popular nightclub that couldn't get in and snuck in in the back door. That's how <laughs> I, like that's a, you know all of these other big cigar makers went there and I snuck in the back door. And so. Um, and so that's always uh, kind of been my, my mentality about that. But to say I was purposeful and uh, certainly not to say that, uh, you know, I knew that Knox would become what it would become. No, I had no, no idea. Um, I just I just really believed in my friend and my mentor. And, and I knew that by him being involved in that factory, it was going to become great. And that's why I went there. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I think it's, it, you know, it's worthwhile pointing out that like, you know, it's sometimes that it it really is, you know, we were talking about how small the world is and we've been connecting dots so far in our conversation, but it, it's, yeah, you know, there's these, what I call canon moments or catalyst moments in our lives that like really kind of drive us to where we end up, obviously, as a result of, and a lot of times in the very beginning, they don't seem like that big of a deal. Or they don't yeah. seem as significant, and then, and then later on they become it. And you know, you mentioned Raúl Disla, who's you know he's he's be, he's gotten so much notoriety um, in the in the I would say in the inner circle of the cigar industry. I think there's people that's out there that smoke your cigar, smoke Steve cigars that don't know who Raúl is, and that's that's a shame. But what I really love about Steve and you um, have done for for someone like Raúl is like you've put his name on a cigar you know i'm smoking the, the original desfilito but you have the desfilito disla right which was his blend like he actually blend i know you always you you're very hands-on with everything but this this was the one where you basically just kind of approved it right but, like i said yeah that 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 works and 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 you paid homage to to your friend there and i think that's um you know i think that's a credit to both y'all because he has you know steve's got the unstolen valor that 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 raul did and um right. And that's that's pretty that's I, I really really admire that because I think there there's so many people in this industry that that really steer the industry and and do a lot of great things behind the scenes that nobody knows about and so for you guys for you to put his name on one I mean that's that's a beautiful homage 
Um, yeah, I mean, we, I, I wish we, we, we were going to do more about that. At the end of the day, um, being a blender per se gets us to be a little bit of a prima donna um, because um, production managers uh, that run factories, they're there every day. They live the factory. They live uh, every part of the cigars that are being made, every part of the pre-industry and the post-industry. They, they, they have to consider all of it. And, um, you know, unfortunately for them, uh, they're not the brands and they're the behind the scenes guys. Uh, they may be the blenders of the liquor companies or, you know, whatever corollary examples. But, um, yeah, they're tremendous. And a guy like Raul, uh, there's um, a lot of the success I, at Knox, I believe, can be attributed to Raul. It takes a, a, a tremendous amount of skill set to run a factory. Um, dealing with all of the terrible issues that can come of that and, and, and figuring it all out and basically allowing the blends that people like Steve or myself or whomever that we fancy to actually come to life yeah, uh, and, and consistently come to life in a day in and day out fashion. So, you know, uh, Raul's name is on the bottom of every one of our boxes that come out of Noxie. People don't see it, but, it, his name is on the bottom of every one of our boxes. And, uh, it's just a little bit of what we can do to uh, give credit where credit is due. You know? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And like the, you mentioned that the, the, I wouldn't call it a challenge, but you mentioned the, the, the fact that you don't have the, the Cuban heritage, you don't have the, the family lineage in it, mm -hmm. other than the story of your dad. Um, you know, and, and Raul, Raul has a very interesting story in that regard too, because like Raul's, you know, he's he he started in the fields when he was a teenager, and then worked his way up to 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 the esteem that we're talking about. But he's a little fish out of water too, because he's not Cuban; he's actually right. Dominican in Nicaragua. So I think I think that's, that's why it works so well. Yeah, I think uh, I think having that that difference of experience. And difference of mentality. Yeah, you know, I think that that uh, I think that that works really well. And having combinations where you take a combination with like a Oliva tobacco uh, family with an extreme history of growing tobacco all over the world and fermenting tobacco, and then you have an experience of a guy like Gustavo Cura who has a, a tremendous operational experience and tremendous tobacco knowledge and a the knowledge uh, of a guy like Raul having worked in the pre-industry and the post-industry and having worked for many brands, and, uh, both Dominican and Nicaraguan. I think when you get all those elements kind of together, it creates some magical things. And then you bring in people like Steve Sacco, who have tremendous experience on the retail side of things, as well as the manufacturing side and stuff. You know, it takes a lot of different uh, elements to make uh make what happened uh, happen there and uh yeah i think all of those things were really fortunate all the people that align there yeah. 
We're going to come back to a couple more of your brands here in a second. We're going to take a quick break and have some fun with some of our fun segments, as I like to call them. Uh, and the first one, of course, is our presidential trivia segment, which I warned you about, and which is always brought to you by United Cigars, featuring La Giana Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Bandolero Garofalo, uh, Firecracker, and the highly acclaimed Atabay Byron, and now Alfonso lines from Selected Tobacco. Smoke one today and start living united so ian here's your question um i told you i was going to try to tie it in as much as possible so this dapper future president while serving in the military designed his own uniform which would later be adopted by the military now i specifically didn't do the branch because i figured that might give it away but this dapper future president while serving in the military designed his own uniform which would later be adapted by the u.s military so your choices are a Ulysses S. Grant, B. Dwight D. Eisenhower, C. George Washington, or D. Andrew Jackson. Wow. I'm going to be honest with you and tell you, I don't have any clue other than the fact that my leaning would be towards um... (laughs) that's a tough one, man. Maybe this shouldn't be that tough. I mean, my leaning would be towards Ulysses Grant, maybe, or let's see. Think about that. I'm going to go Eisenhower. Let's go Eisenhower. I'm glad you second-guessed it, man. You got it right. Yeah, you got it right. So uh, on a there was a list of most fashionable presidents and least fashionable presidents, and Ulysses S. Grant was actually near the bottom. So you you guessed (laughs) right. So Dwight D. Eisenhower, before he was president, um, you know, was actually a pretty big trendsetter. So he was really dissatisfied with the field jackets that he had to wear during World War II. So back in your grandfather's day. So, um, and he decided to design one himself. So he wanted he wanted a new jacket that was uh, short but comfortable, and in in what uh, in quotations was very natty looking, whatever the fuck that means. But he he, stack, he so he staggered adjustable cuff buttons and waist buttons. Uh, and waist buckles to allow a looser fit that was, but what was, uh, but good for warmer conditions. So, wow. so, so he uh, he also had a some pleats that extended from the shoulder to the waistband, providing uh, increased range of motion. So the it was later deemed the Ike jacket, and oh, it, would, okay. it would go it would go on to be adopted by the U.S. Army, and so. That's that's actually what the uh, U.S. military wore up through, you know, up until the Vietnam War era. So I had no idea. Yeah. Good. Good guess. Good guess. So. Good guess. Right. I, yeah. I, was, I was thinking every photo I've ever seen of the Ulysses Grant seemed to be pretty noble looking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I don't know why. Granted, I mean, I don't necessarily trust the validity of some of these lists sometimes, but it's like, I mean, but this list did get it right, though, because Harry Truman was number one. Harry Truman, I had this question before on the list. I didn't want to bring it back because I actually had it before. Harry S. Truman's considered the most fashionable president because he actually was a haberdasher before he, before he became, you know, he went into politics. He actually owned a haberdashery uh, wow. in, Can- in Kansas City. Yeah, so. Like he was very partial to double-breasted suits with you know very large peaked lapels and you know and uh, he, actually he was before his time because like it, his suit you know he was president in the late 40s right his suits actually became quite the rage uh, in the 1960s oh. so yeah uh, they just became well, like they- slimmer fits. 
Right. They were like his 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 designs and stuff like that. So he also owned 96 pairs of shoes. That's that's a good amount. Yeah. So so he's a been, sneakerhead. Yeah. So yeah, him and James Brown would get along just fine. Yeah. Yeah, so um but um that's which, cool. which included apparently 41 pairs of slippers, which guy liked the like good guy liked to kick back too, apparently. So yeah and stuff. Yeah. And stuff. So um, that was our United Presidential Trivia segment brought to you by United Cigars featuring La Gian Havana and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero Garofalo, the Firecracker, and the highly acclaimed Out of Bay Byron, and now Alfonso lines from Selected Tobacco. Smoke one today and start living United. Um, so our next segment, and before we go back into some of your brands, Ian, um, is this segment that I, I, I love on the show. Um, uh, in October on my birthday, it'll be the third anniversary. So we'll have done this for three years. So we've almost done this for three years now where my guest each week picks a nonprofit or charity of their choosing to spotlight. And this one's got an interesting tie-in because you've actually done a project for them. Uh, your latest release is the Holy Smoke Genesis. Um, and uh, it's made for the, uh, the Holy Smokes group. And uh, you can check out more at holysmoke.org. Um, but what was really interesting to me as I was reading about this is you were a little hesitant at first to do something, but something inside of you or something was that you, you had to do it. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about this project and about the group. Yeah. So, you know, the, the reason I picked the group is, you know, not only because we did a cigar for them, um, but that uh, a, a lot of it, it started out of Fresno where I'm, where I'm based. And, um, it, it was a group of, of cigar smokers that I knew very well. Um, and they had, um, over the years, like the past few years, it started this, this, uh, biblical study. Um, and the biblical study, you know, call it like a, an hour, uh, uh, men's get together. They would do these in the cigar shops and they would invite people from, you know, cigars and non-cigars, but it was like a men's fellowship, men's kind of gathering. And they would, there's obviously biblical um, components to it, but I think more than just the biblical pieces of it, it was about, you know, helping men out in various you know, parts of their life uh, in, in all sorts of phases. And so it started out of Fresno and the. Oh, uh, you're where you live. That's cool. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's why I, I, I really did that for him because uh, where I, I got involved in it because it started out of Fresno. It started with guys that I knew. And uh, there was a lot of guys that were cigar smokers that I knew that became members of this group and passionate about it. And that it had grown a little bit to other areas. And, and they were looking to do a cigar that, you know, because the whole theme and the whole setting place was cigars. That's where you were getting together at a cigar shop most of the time, sometimes in people's backyards and sometimes in uh, churches and whatnot. But it was kind of centered around, you know, the, the time and duration of, uh, of how long the fellowship kind of lasts it was about the time it took to smoke a cigar. Um, and so I thought it was a really unique concept. And when they came to me, they, they said they really wanted to make a cigar that, you know, would fundraise for, the, the, for their um, uh, for their organization, but they wanted it to be really, uh, they just wanted it to be a good cigar. And they, they came to me saying, you know, we really want you to make a great cigar for this. And we want people to be really proud. And 
and whatnot of it. And so when I knew, when I saw how committed they were towards, you know, not really cutting any corners on it. It wasn't just about throwing a little band on there. And it just wasn't about me giving them some cigar and saying, that's going to be your cigar. And they were really, really uh, intent on making the best product they could. That's what really kind of sold me on. Okay, well, we'll go down this path and I'll, I'll do everything I can to make this the best looking product that I could possibly make for them. And the best smoking, excuse me, presentation and all that stuff. And so that's, uh, we got involved probably about three years ago. And it took a, a bit of time because COVID got into the, the mix. And so that kind of slowed things down a lot from the perspective of printing things and making cigars, et cetera. But uh, we just released a cigar uh, about a month before the trade show. And uh, it's done really well. It's a limited edition uh, first uh, cigar that we did with them. And uh, it was so successful that they, they, they want to do subsequent cigars and we've raised a, a decent amount of money for it. And uh, it's something I'm really proud of from the perspective of uh, how it came out and, uh, uh, and, and how it appears and, and the whole bit. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's been a, an interesting, uh, an interesting thing. Yeah. Our, our podcast listeners later won't be able to see this, but I pulled up the image of the the holy smoke uh genesis which is the bible study cigar club and everything and um yeah i mean you're you're right you know from i mean i haven't smoked a cigar yet but holy cow man this 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 packaging is lights out i mean yeah it's really beautiful the cigar is a box press figurado san andreas wrapper nick robert fillers the packaging is i think it's remarkable. I'll, I'll I'll have to send you a couple in the mail as well, so you can uh, give them a go. They're um, you know I mean from a um, blend perspective, I always tell people you know the the organization while it is cigar, it, there are cigar components, so it's not a cigar organization. Um, so part of blending a cigar uh, had to be about making something that's kind of approachable. So it's like we couldn't really make cigars that were exceptionally high nicotine and you know we had to make something very approachable for a wide audience uh sure. it makes it very beautiful so i, I was really uh, i'm really proud of how that came out it's done well and um and and there'll, there'll be subsequent cigars to that so okay um, yeah so it's 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 a, it's a cool thing I, i'm gonna tread lightly here uh because but i'm just interested i happen to be a religious person so um and uh of, of of a christian background and everything so this group in particular you know is 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 really fascinating to me and they, you can go to holysmoke.org the, the website is down but they do have a video for anyone interested in the organization it's uh the organizers it's these three gentlemen that are talking about the organization its intent and um you know for for anyone out there who's you know again i'm treading light here for anyone out there who who you know may be turned off by by religion because of maybe overzealous people that they've experienced or overzealousness they've experienced in their life. These guys are not it. Like it's a very laid back group of guys from everything I can tell. And they, uh, you know, they, they're, they're sitting there smoking cigars and they're, they're talking about just, you know, getting, you know, folks together and, um, you know, just, you know, having op open discussion and, and open openness and open forum and everything. So it's really, it's really cool uh, from everything that I can see. And it's a really, really, looks like a really terrific organization. So I'm, I'm glad you were drawn to it. And 
um, and, that, and ultimately put together what looks like a fantastic project and everything. I, it, um, it's again, grown, it's grown tremendous. I'll say this. So I'm, I'm sad the website isn't done. I, I've, I, I know that they're going through a really big website thing, uh, but um, I have tracked them for the last few years and it's grown tremendously. They have organizations all across the country now. And the charitable money that we generate from the cigar sales actually goes towards the chapters that go to starting in various parts of the country. Oh, I don't very cool. All of those areas, but there are many, many chapters all around the country now that have their own Holy Smoke groups that deal with the same thing. And they're, uh, they develop a lot of the, the, the curriculum, or I don't want to say curriculum, literature, whatnot that helps, uh, you know, give topics to these, you know, weekly meetings and things. And they have a tremendous network of, of, of guys that talk together from all across the country. And what really resonates to me, and I, I don't focus too much on the religious element of it. I focus more on the element of what I've heard of from local people here that are not religious, but were in bad parts of their life that went to these groups to get camaraderie and and help from fellow people oh wow oh it's wow really pulled a lot of people um uh out of bad situations to to let them know that there are people there that can help and that uh and i think the cigars and i think the the uh their tone of the religiousness really is appealing meaning i don't think that they're trying to thump anybody in the head with the bible per se yeah they're trying to uh, trying to invite them in in a loving manner and in a in a um, in a group that is very open and talking about very uh, a large amount of topics. So it's it's been uh, hopefully they'll get this. I think it's going to come up soon. Their new revamp website. But yeah, you can go to HolySmokeUSA.org and it will. Uh, they'll have a little video introduction of what the group is about. There's a lot of members. Uh, and there's a lot of great people that are a part of it. I'm, I'm super, I'm super happy that I'm able to make them a product that, uh, that does it justice and hopefully brings good, good light to, to their organization. Awesome. You were recently at an event earlier this summer too, where you were with the cigar yeah. and stuff. So, yeah. They did a, they did a huge event. There was a, um, there was a gentleman on the, on the board of that, um, that, uh, his name is Chris Rogenstein. He's a very, very a uh, very nice guy and, and he believes a lot in the project as well. And he threw a tremendous grand, uh, like a grand opening party for the, for the cigar and everything. And so that happened uh, the first, the first of July, that was a great event. And um, uh, we were able to raise a lot of money through sales of cigars and swag and other stuff for that. But yeah, it's a great organization. And I, I can't wait to see how they grow that in the future. Um, and, you know, we're really, I'm flattered that they came, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, people that they could have been, they know this, that they could have made the cigars with and that could have done, uh, the same thing for them. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm flattered and, and a bit honored that they, uh, entrusted, <laughs> entrusted us to, to make the cigar. We'll go with the hometown kid, you know, that works. <laughs> I guess. That works. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, check it out. Holy smokes, uh, us, holy smoke, USA.org. I'll post that later in the show notes and, uh, and, and check them out. Cause it's a great organization. So Ian, thank you so much for, for bringing yeah. that to attention and, and working with them. It's great. Um, getting back to, to, to your, 
your brands that we haven't really dived into. I, I just finished the Desfolito, which was incredible. Really enjoyed that cigar. Holy cow. Um, you know, just really nice, uh, really nice flavors. The retrohale was very, I love long retrohales, long retrohale, long finish, you yeah. know, with the, the spice component to it didn't really kick in until like very, very, very end of that long finish too. So it wasn't like this huge spice bomb that goes through your nose. Um, but the lingeringness of it really kind of just balanced out the flavors of that cigar. And it was just a fantastic, fantastic experience. Um, I've since lent up the Siempre Sun Grown. Okay. Um, and um, it's an, this is another one of your cigars. This is my first one. Uh, what was it about or what? Tell us a little bit about this project and how it how it came, how it came to pass. Yeah, I mean, Siempre Sun Grown is um, it's really uh, the, the roots of the combination of tobacco that's used is uh, is based on what Frank Anessa used to do. And and these are all passed down to me through my friend Gustavo Cura. And, and Gustavo told me, Gus told me, he was like, you know, you really ought to consider doing things that are in the combination with Sumatra and Broadleaf because he, he, he had become very good friends with Frank Anessa through his life. And, and Frank had built a tremendous business and a tremendous um, empire in terms of the cigar. He's, uh, you know, when you Google Frank Anessa cigars, I mean, this guy was the, uh, you know, the Nestor, the Rocky or whatever. Yeah, architect, man, of some very iconic brands. Yeah, he's he's an very iconic. And one of his uh, one of his really uh, good go to combinations of cigars uh, of tobacco for cigars is is combining Ecuador Sumatra Sumatra with a Connecticut Broadleaf, and that combination really is a magical combination. It gives you a lot of uh, smoke production. It gives you some sweetness. It gives you some earthiness. It gives you a lot of a lot of interesting flavor notes. It's not overpowering, and he built a hell of a business on on his blending prowess for blending medium bodied cigars for blending cigars that were very approachable. You know, the, the old saying with Frank Vanessa was that, you know, he wanted to make, he wanted to make cigars that when you smoke that cigar halfway through the cigar, you, you know, you touch your pocket to make sure you got the next one. So you can light that one up. Mm -hmm. and, uh, the, the, it was that delightful and that enjoyable. So, Part of Siempre Sungrown was being able to, okay, well, what can we take with a Sumatra broadleaf combination that was appealing to me? Now, Frank had also used a lot of Honduran fillers uh, back in the day. And, um, and so obviously that didn't make a whole lot of sense from my perspective if I'm trying to do something out of Nicaragua. But I did, we did use some Honduran filler in it and we tried to create a blend that was maybe something that was like that enjoyable um, uh, experience that Frank was so adamant about, but maybe give it a little bit of spice and maybe a little bit of tinge of Nicaraguan so that you knew that maybe that that wasn't uh, uh, something that was uh, uh, just Honduran based or something. So the Siempre Sun Grown is really uh, influenced by, uh, by what Frank Anessa did with his blends. And uh, so that's how that cigar came about. Yeah, the uh, the cigar that would later bear his name was one of his last projects. He actually fucked. He actually finally put his name on it. Frank Canizza cigars, yeah. and those I when I first started smoking, I got a hold of some. Still have one tucked away that I just I probably will never smoke because it's my last one, and it's it's 
so good. It was so good. Um, and, and, uh, and like you said, there is a lot of, I, I can take, like, as you talk about, it, I can taste some of that influence in the cigar too, particularly that Honduran tobacco that you're talking about. There's a nice earthy quality to this that really balances out some of these other flavors that you're describing. And that's that Honduran tobacco that really, really does that. And, uh, um, there are Honduran cigars that are like, you know, they're, that are, that are, I would say that are pretty refined. Um, the, the reputation of Honduran tobacco is that it is very dank. It is very earthy and it certainly is. Um, but when used appropriately, which I feel like this cigar is showcasing so far, like it really adds a really nice balancing component to some really, really flavorful other, um, more, I guess, flavor forward. I yeah. guess tobaccos is probably the best way I can put it, yeah. uh, or at least articulate it. Um, so, um, is there um, is there plans to expand this like similarly to like the El Baracho or the Desfilito or even La, uh, La Madrina? You know, it's 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 weird because um, we don't really have uh, right now any plans on the Siempre side of things. We, you know, I do notice that there's a lot of people kind of doing Sumatra stuff these days. And that's kind of nice because I've always liked Sumatra. I mean, Jeremy at Wildfire, we kind of shared a booth next to each other. He gave me a Sumatra that he had just released. I thought it was a great Sumatra. Uh, Nick Malilo's Sumatra, he just released. It's just outstanding. Metapo, uh, yeah. Oh, it's just outstanding uh, Sumatra cigar. Uh, and, and and you know, the stuff that Pete makes with Sumatra, I just, I love that I stuff. I dig it. Oh, man, I dig when Pete works with Sumatra. Um yeah. I, I love recanting this story to him and to when I tell him, like, I remember one of the first times I interviewed him and I was, I was at a cigar shop and I was telling someone that I was interviewing Pete and I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be smoking the Capa Special. I love when Pete works and he was releasing some limited at the time that was a Sumatra. Like, I love when Pete works with Sumatra and man, I, it was like, I fucking called down the fire on this guy and this guy got so mad. He's like, no. He is a broadleaf guy. He makes broadleaf and his broadleaf is the best. I was like, whoa, whoa, dude. I didn't, whoa. <laughs> I didn't say his broadleaf sucked. I just said, I really <laughs> like when he works with Sumatra. It just became this thing. It was like, sacrilege. Gosh, sweet Jesus, Batman. My God, like calm the hell down. Like, um, but that's, what's great about this industry. People get really passionate about blenders and what they work with and stuff. So, but, Pete, uh, Pete is, and I would argue back with this guy that Pete is not standing at blender. Mm-hmm. And whether he's working with Broadleaf, Habano from Ecuador, uh, Sumatra, or San Andreas. Yeah, even Mexico now, especially with the Tuxla and stuff. He, yeah. It's, there are cigars in all of those formats and all of those varieties that I think are outstanding. Yeah. And, um, um, you know, so <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you, like, you know, uh, I, I couldn't tell you what I, I mean. I, I think that he could just he could blend with whatever you give him yeah. relief. It's going to be and he's going to crank out a stellar cigar at some point using that leaf. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that one. So his Sumatra. I loved it when he, he he's, a, he's a pretty big fan of yours. So in light of the fact that he'll probably see this later, I will be Pete. I am going to mention this. You know, we are we are shouting you out your and giving you accolade for your tremendous blending style. But yes, I'll go ahead and say it, Pete. It's because of it's because of Pepin and Jaime. Okay. 
He always <laughs> gives he always gives credit to his his father and brother in law. You know, he always does yeah, without fail. He he always takes a backseat to them and stuff. And yes, they do they do their great things and everything like that. But Pete, you are a great blender. Just we're Ian and I are saying it, and that's okay. So, uh, hey, look, I mean, from my perspective, Pete's a, a, a you know very nice person, very nice to me, and um, I I have the the fortunate circumstances of being able to tell people that, you know, it's guys like him that paved the path for me being able to do what I'm doing. You know, he's, oh, really, you know, I mean, yes, we talk about guys like Frank Anessa and the Olivas and, and everybody in the old school uh, realm of tobacco. But uh, for my generation, in my time coming in and smoking, Pete's kind of one of our rock stars. Oh, thousand percent. And um, and so yeah, I mean it's um, uh, I, uh, I I'm so incredibly fortunate to be able to get the ear of somebody like that every once in a while. Um, but I also know his portfolio real well because I it's a point of admiration with the, like a lot of the guys that I talk about. Um, you know, you, you're surrounded by uh, guys that are just amazing at what they're doing with cigars. Really amazing stuff. You know, I, I was a part of an interesting discussion uh, earlier this year with some some friends of mine in the, the media. They just happened to be in the media space, and we were talking about the generations of blenders and stuff. And you mentioned like Frank and and you know people like him and Benji Menendez are part of that. Like what when I started smoking, they were the old guard. And I guess they're now they're the ultra old guard. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, Fuente, Padron, Placencia, uh-huh. etc. Right. And then you, you have people like Pete, like you mentioned, that were kind of these next generation, like Pete, you know, and, and John Huber, Jonathan Drew, you know, George Rico, Dion, you know, they were like the, they, they were the young guns, the next generation. And there was like this, this tweener stage, I call it, but it was mostly, it was mostly guys like Steve and Nick, you know, but we, we specifically named you and, and a few other of your, of your colleagues that have kind of been in the last 10 years in this last decade that you guys are going to be the ones that carry that torch to the, to the next level, to the next generation, whatever that, whatever that looks like. And that's, that's, you know, I mean, that's some impressive company. And because, I mean, you've really put together a, an amazing portfolio of just outstanding cigars. Uh, I mean, I appreciate that. I think, you know, um, from, you know, I, 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 it's very humble to be in the same, uttered in the same breath as a lot of many, a lot of the people you spoke of. I, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with Nick and Steve and I look up to them. I tell them, um, I, I'm not, I shouldn't even be in the same conversation as these guys because these guys have been doing this longer than I have. Sure. Uh, and, um, and, and they are, uh, they're tremendous at what they do. Tremendous. There's, I don't think that there's, um, both of them, Steve and Nick, they're both, uh, they're, they're both tremendous. Nick is uh, uh, an outstanding, he's an outstanding blender and a tobacco person. And he's also an incredible branding person. And, uh, and Steve equally has a tremendous amount of marketing knowledge, as well as some of the, some of the production knowledge. So these guys are, uh, you know, it's, it's very flattering uh, that, that, I would even be in the same sentence, but yeah, you're right. Guys like John Huber, guys, uh, Tim Ozinger, you know, yeah. when I started smoking cigars, Tim Ozinger was a rock star. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I probably blame 
Tim Osinger and all that crazy stuff that they did with CAO mm-hmm. to, I, I always blame them as having ruined it for all of us because we can, <laughs> never, we can never throw events as big as what CAO was doing from a marketing and branding perspective. You know, oh, a thousand it, percent. It's crazy. It unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable what they did with marketing. John had a lot to do with that too, and and he certainly has right. carried that over. It, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, and and to have someone like Tim come back to the industry last year um, is is such a is such a blessing in a lot of ways. I, I did want to ask you though. It, we've mentioned Steve a couple times tonight, and, and you know, you having such a close relationship with him is 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 funny. Have you have you adopted some of his self deprecating style that he has, or, or or have you have you kind of have you kind of uh, you know, stayed away from that. I find that I find that his self-deprecating style to be very comical. Um, <laughs> where he's like, See, "Well, I, I don't know if anyone's ever going to buy my cigars. They're not very good." <laughs> like, dude, like, dude, just stop, man. Just stop. That's Steve's the greatest market. He's like one of the greatest marketers on earth. Yeah, he's, I don't. I uh, I don't. I try to uh, separate the side that I know Steve from and the, and his business side of it. Um, because they're, I think they're, they're just two separate things per se, but God, if you could come up with a track record for somebody in the cigar business that I, I think maybe what I like about it is that I feel maybe in some sense that he maybe has no purpose of being in the cigar business per se. It's not like Steve's, grandfather was a tobacco farmer in Cuba. Uh, it's not like he comes from, you know, a, a pedigree of, uh, maybe he does, maybe, I don't know. Maybe there's a long lineage. I don't think so. I think it was just yeah. like, yeah, he, he just was a nerd like us. You yeah. Know? And so that's the part that to, to come from a similar perspective and, and a similar part outside of the industry and then to do what he's done. Wow. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's like uh, I kind of equate it to like bands. You know, if you if you make one hit record, boy, that could be it. That's it. Like you, you should be proud that you made one hit record. Yeah. You, but to hit on multiple times and to hit being what he did with Jr. To hit what he did at Drew Estate and to now do what he's doing at Dunbar. You know, that's uh, you know that's that's certainly very skillful. And uh, he's obviously a very, very smart guy. He's obviously a very talented guy in mm-hmm. many perspectives to do those things. Yeah, very he's, he's had quite the quite the career, and uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like he's still just getting started, which is kind of scary at the same time. But uh, I kind of feel like that too. I kind of feel like he's finding his element right now, or something. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> now, now to get back to to Dapper, I thought. It was, <laughs> With like the El Borracho line, we've mentioned it a couple times tonight, but I thought it was really interesting that you have two offerings which would, and I know you tried to get away with this, and this is why you kind of rebranded them. But yeah. it's it's, and I apologize, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to uh, to to confuse people more because I know that this was something you wanted to steer away for. But it's kind of like your Maduro lines, like you have the the, the you have the broad, the El Borracho Broadleaf, and you have the El Borracho. Uh, 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 San Andreas. So, um, yeah. Um, was there what? Um, I guess during during the blending process or or the branding process of of the El Baracho was 
Why was that such a concern, I guess, of, of, of confusion well, that you wanted to do uh, it? I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Um, mo- many of the things that we've done are a reflection of me just not knowing the fuck I'm doing sometimes. And, um, <laughs> and, and El Baracho was, a gr- you know, that was a great thing. There's a lot of lessons I've learned over the years. And um, many of the lessons have to be with clarity and products. And, you know, when I did the El Baracho line originally, we originally named them kind of in that natural Maduro uh, framing because we were in that FDA mode. And there was a lot yeah. of bad decisions that we made to try to overthink what we thought the FDA was going to do. And we were just kind of playing at for survival. Um, and, and when we did the San Andreas version, I had also blended a broadleaf version. I really loved the broadleaf version. Mm-hmm. And I just thought at the time, okay, no problem. We'll call the San Andreas one the natural, and we'll call the broadleaf one the Maduro because that's what the shades of the wrappers more reflected. And eh, nobody's going to care. It's fine. It's a terrible idea. It was, it, it, it's uh, created a lot of confusion. Uh, and so subsequently, we've changed the naming so that the, the natural version is the San Andreas version. So you know you get the San Andreas wrap cigar and the broadleaf one. Uh, the Maduro one became the Broadleaf one, so you know you get the Broadleaf one. Uh, there's still a lot of changes that are coming forward that will cause even better clarity in branding. Um, but yeah, the, the reason we did that was not because it was a good reason. It was based on some bad ideas, uh, as well as some unrealistic thoughts about what would end up becoming uh, survivable after the FDA. Um, I wish we'd, we'd never done that, but yeah. I've heard you talk about the sur- quote unquote survival period that you mentioned a moment ago, a couple of times in other interviews. And, and um, you had some pretty harsh criticism of yourself. You, you talked about how you, you lost a lot of time. You feel like, you know, by yeah, I made, I made all the wrong decisions during that time. I made uh, 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 during the time when the FDA rules were announced um, there, there was a lot of fear. Um, and this was, you know, to try to put people into that perspective, just to give people an idea. I think that's why you have so many new small brands that are coming out because people remember there was a lot of brands that just decided, you know, we're not even going to go down the path of trying to deal with any of this compliance. And we, unfortunately, you know, I'd started the company in the period that was considered the period that you weren't predicated. None of your products were predicated. Your, our entire company was built outside of the predicate yeah. uh, cutoff. 2007 was the date. Yeah, it was, a, it was a harsh cutoff. My God. Harsh cutoff. And so the only thing that I could rely on or the only thing that I could go, okay, well, one, do we just close up shop? We had three decisions. We had three paths we could go down. The first path was it's over, fellas. We'll sell out everything we got. We'll wind it down. We'll see what happens. And then whatever happens, happens. We didn't do that. The second path was, um, you know, fuck these guys. We're just going to keep doing what we're going to do. And whatever happens, happens. That would have been the best path. The third path was, well, let's see what we can do to our products so that we can have the best chance of survival. And what that meant was, Okay, can we work with our partners and do our partners have predicated brands? Yes, they do. Fortunately, Noxa and 
and uh, Oliva Tobacco had been making cigars for a very long time. So they had predicated sizes. They had predicated formats. They had all these things. Uh, okay, well, what can we do to, to, to work with that? So there was a lot of concessions to the point to where, you know, we were using sizes. Like our Toro was like a fit five, 5.6 by 54, because that was, because that blend that we had for some of the sizes was aligned with a predicated brand that they had on the books that we could then tell the FDA, hey, wink, wink. This is the same cigar as the other one. We just named it different. That was the thought. The thought was that. And yeah, I'm not saying like, you know, that maybe there's a lot of people that are like, oh, that's dumb. That'd never work or whatever. Well, you know, this wasn't, these strategies weren't like. Um, they didn't you give know, you a lot of guidance, Ian. Let's just be fair. It's like <laughs> Well, not only did they give you a guidance, but we had very expensive FDA attorneys that were kind of steering us to what was okay and what was not okay. And they were kind of going, well, you can do this, but you can't do that. And you and they're finding this stuff and guessing too. And yeah. so we spent a period of three years uh, going down this path of spending a lot of money on attorneys, which was wasted, uh, spending a lot of money on trying to comply and do all the red FDA registrations, which turned out to be worth nothing really at the end of the day. And uh, and then also worse than all of that, we were just constantly trying to uh, develop our brands within the framework of where these attorneys said that we could exist. And so that also was detrimental because we couldn't uh, we couldn't do what we really wanted to do the way that we wanted to do it. And so having gone through all that and then the correction of all of those things afterwards was uh and still things that we're kind of hung over from, right? It took a long time for us to get all of our sizing to be consistent across our brands again. And uh, and for us to come out with new brands and for us to, you know, keep going. So yeah, we I've, I have always felt like we've lost three to five years of, of, uh, of momentum that, um, uh, that, uh, that I, I, I regret in some respect. And I feel like we, uh, we could have gotten ahead a lot further had I not been so cautious. Um, but it is what it is, lesson learned. And 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 that was just, um, you know, that was just, uh, it was uh, it was some bad decisions on my part that uh, that I wish I would have done a little bit differently. But there it is, live and learn, right? Yeah, some corrections coming. So and I think, I think the rebranding, I think, really did a good job. Um, it was really well received last year. Uh, when you when you decide to put those out, but I mean, one thing that you got um, after kind of after this kind of I guess this period and everything was was the the release of La Madrina and specifically its counterpart, yeah, the 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 La Madrina Shade, um, which um, I absolutely freaking love. I think it's fantastic. Um, the and you said I, I think I, I think I heard you correctly when we started the show tonight that you you said it's it's the best selling line for you. Yeah, so it's funny, and we even made mistakes with that. We um, La Madrina became our best selling cigar um, for whatever reason. It just became our best selling line, and um, so much so that it stuck out, uh, and um, 
during COVID, we were actually, you know, during that period, we were like, well, we need to have a shade cigar back on the market. <laughs> and La Madrina just makes sense for which brand that we should do the shade. Um, but because of the backlog in printing, we couldn't even get the printables for La Madrina for the shade to get there. So we finally just at some point decided, yeah, screw it. We're just going to release the La Madrina shade, but we're just going to use the same bands and the same everything. And we'll just put a shade sticker, you know, like the Fuente does their little or whatever. You, know, you put the Madero sticker, you put the Sungrove sticker, whatever. Mm-hmm. And we thought, oh, that's that's fine. That was a terrible idea. It was a terrible decision. <laughs> one, everybody that loved it, they didn't know which one they loved. They didn't, I don't know. It's the shade one or the Bono or what, what was it? So they had no idea. And two, by the time we got the printables, the shade printables, all of a sudden that brand just skyrocketed. It was like all of a sudden it became like, oh, my God, everybody wants just the shade version because they knew that that was the white banded version and so uh yeah even in that perspective that's that's a uh lesson learned we won't do that again we'll we'll definitely make sure our packaging between lines is distinguishable enough so that if you at least save the band you knew at least what line you were in um or what wrapper shade you were in the uh the caricature of the uh, the the skeleton hand with the the flower is 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 interesting as well too. Like what went into that choice? Because yeah, that didn't start out with that brand. It was much more morbid looking, and it was much more. There was even a point in which there was a grim reaper on the band, <laughs> and uh, it really took a lot of iterations. And, it, and it's 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 a hundred percent due to Dan Greta, our our designer of everything. Um, it took some iterations and what we came out with was what I think is probably our most iconic look to this day or iconic band uh, is that La Madrina, um, the, the, the skeleton hand and the rose. And it was really about how can you, what were we trying to convey? You know, what imagery, what, you know, the kind of juxtaposition between the beauty of life and the fatality of death kind of thing, right? Uh, having It's pretty those- deep. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it, it it that's kind of what ended up coming up out of it. And I always say, like you know, we were I was very heavily inspired by what John Huber did with the Las Calaveras. I thought that that imagery and and what he had done in the kind of Dias de las Muertes kind of um, uh, theme, I just loved it. I was like, man, we have to we have to do our own take on this, but not overtly rip it off, you know, per se, and. Uh, and I thought that that came out real well. And it just serendipitously now is, it's a good cigar as well. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I love the blend. I love the, I smoke the shade all the time. Uh, but uh, certainly, you know, that, uh, I don't know if any of it was designed and purposeful. We didn't sit, sit down from day one and go, this is going to be our best-selling one. And this is how it's going to look. And this is what it's going to turn out to be, you know? I remember smoking that cigar for like the first time. And I was, I was suffering some for some pretty bad allergies at the moment. So my throat was really scratchy and, and everything it was just drainage and stuff, but sorry for the, the vividness of that imagery. But, um, but I was like, I need something a little bit more softer on the palate. And I was like, Oh, I'll smoke the Slama Drina Connecticut cause or shade. So that surely, it, but man, that thing, that thing had some giddy up. And I just remember <laughs> <laughs> like, this wasn't the best choice, but God, this maybe, is good. Damn, this maybe, is good. I, maybe I shouldn't have chose that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I got, I got you 100%. It's, uh, that's the other thing, too, is um, 
you know, how do you, uh, shade cigars are obviously a huge percentage of the market. We, yeah, and I'll be honest with you, the whole reason we also did that shade was because of Nick Perdomo. Um, I, I was spending some time with Nick Perdomo and, um, and he's just, he's always been such a very, he's a, just a, he, he's, he shouldn't give me advice, but he does, you know, and, and like, there's no reason, like I, there's a lot of in cigar business, there's a lot of, you know, there's competition. Everybody's fighting for the same shelf space and everybody's trying to do the same thing. And I was just um, really amazed at just how generous he was with, you know, advice. And we were down in, in Nika and he was telling me, he was like, well, let me ask you something. He goes, how many cigars do you have? And I said, well, I've got, you know, 10 blends or whatever. He goes, okay. And he's like, how many shade cigars do you have? I'm like, at that time, I had none. We discontinued the Cubo Claro. I had, well, none right now. He's like, you know, in some extent, he's like, you're an idiot. I'm like, oh, how do you figure? Well, X percentage of the U.S. cigar market or even the global market is the shade wrap cigar. So by you not having a shade cigar, you've immediately excluded like 70% of your, of your buying audience. And I was like, yeah, you are right. I am an idiot. That's a really dumb thing. <laughs> so it was like, all right, we got it. We have to make a shade cigar and why not leverage our best selling brand at the time? So that's how that came about. Nice. I had Nick's son on last week as part of my show and, and uh, I was, him and I were lamenting about how the influence that Nick has had on this industry for going back, I mean, decades now, like, you know, we were talking about CAO. He did production for CAO um, yeah. after they lost, they lost their factory in Costa Rica at the time. And, uh, and uh, he also, you know, was instrumental in helping Drew, you know, his dad had a lot too with it, but instrumental in getting Drew Estate off the ground. And, yep. you know, you know, Dave Garofalo and him have go way back too. And there, there's, a, there's a history there. And so it's, right. it's, it's crazy what, what hit the impact that he has. And he's done a very, you know, he's done it very quietly and he's very quiet about it. You know, he doesn't talk, he doesn't brag about it and everything, but he's just, he's so important. He's so important to the industry and uh, what he's done, the influence, like even in conversations that he's had with like with folks like you, like you said, his competition. And yet, yeah. you know, he's still this wealth of knowledge that he continues to pour out and everything. What um he's a he is a uh, um he's a he is a force of nature. I don't think people understand just how much of a force of nature he is. He is incredibly sharp he's incredibly sharp guy mm -hmm. uh, uh, he's a very very smart guy and he knows his operations in and out he's built a tremendously large vertically integrated operation oh yeah and um yeah he, he maybe doesn't get as much credit as he should for that but yeah he is he's a force he's just incredible yeah we're talking about the symbolism with the La Madrina. I, I remember seeing a picture uh, of a guy who actually got the La Madrina symbol tattooed somewhere. It's that kind of fandom. It's kind of, that's got to be surreal. It's unnerving. We, we have more people tattooed that logo on them than any brand. I mean, it's, 
and I'm not just talking about one or two. We every month we have somebody send us some photo of tattoo somewhere. That's and crazy. it's it's a little unnerving because part of me is like as a as my own thing, I'm like, well, we can't change the brand. <laughs> like, <laughs> you immediately will dissuade a customer if you ever touch that sacred uh that sacred design uh but also it to me it's a uh, incredible lesson about powers of brands yeah and you know guys like steve know this as well things like a liga Pravada, uh there are just you know things like opus x they're not to say that we're on the same level at all but certain brands resonate really really well with consumers for whatever reasons and it's inspiring i think any cigar maker like you're basically hunting and trying to find just one of those brands in your lifetime that you can be a part of that will hopefully uh uh, be so popular that it will cause people to tattoo them on them and things like that. <laughs> well, I heard you talk about this one time about how, like, you know, again, harkening back to your dad's days of smoking, like, again, there were no, in his case, there were no bands, there was no brand, you know, he was just smoking cigars just to enjoy them. And, and, but he was, that was his choice, right? But he wasn't very different from the market back then, you know, the, the cigar smoker, you know, in the nineties and even early two thousands were very brand loyal. They were the guys oh, yeah. and they, and they still exist. I mean, and there's still probably a majority of the market. We just, they're not my audience. They're not our audience necessarily, but they're the people that go into the humidor once a day, three times a week, a couple times a month. And they go in and they buy a handful or that one cigar every time. And that's, that's their cigar. And, and that's, you know, you know, again, in this next generation of cigar makers that, that you're a part of, you know, that's, that's what, you know, one day you'll, one day that'll, that'll be you, you know, I mean, we, we hope you're right. Like we hope for that, but you're also right in the same that the consumer has shifted tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's harder today. Oh because, yeah. You know, I mean, we're, you know, I, I don't, if, if we make what I consider, like if we took our best selling brand, like the La Madrina Shade, and we even get it to be tattooed on somebody and they love it and resonate with it so much, I have no, uh, I have no doubt in my mind that that guy's not just smoking that. That guy's smoking yeah. a lot of things. There's a lot of great things. We're just hoping that that brand makes it in their wheelhouse. We're yeah. just hoping that we're in one of those slots in his humidor so that every once in a while he goes, yep, I'm smoking that one today. And that's, I think, our best hope for consumers today because they're not like my father. They're not guys that are like, you know, I am smoking this all the time because I like this and I've already found it and this is all I'm smoking and I'm happy with it. I mean, God bless those guys. Whenever you come across them, you'll love it because you're like, all right, we're going to move some cigars to that guy. But they're just far and few between, I think, today. Yeah. Well, like even me, for example, like I went into the Humidor Paladin today and I, I bought Dapper, Tatuaje, Gran Habano. And, you know, I, I smoke a lot of, I smoke a lot of cigars and there's certain cigars that I would consider my, my daily smoke 
is different than the the layman's daily smoke because I what I consider my daily smoke I probably smoke a f- few times a month because I'm just smoking so much like I smoke a lot of different things in the market and you know that's the Ian can you hear me yep I hear you okay sorry I lost you there for a second but yeah that's the I think that's the uh you're right. That is the more the the guy going into the humidor now is going to grab a bunch of this, a bunch of that, or one or two or things of things here and there and stuff. So, um, well, great. Well, um, listen that that that's kind of going to go lead us into our last few questions of the night. And Ian, I thank you so much for your time tonight. Yeah. And we've got some we have some fun more segments just to wrap up tonight's evening. Uh, this is more of our our rapid fire segment. I call it this or that. And it's pretty simple. I give you two choices and you just pick one. So, All right. so, um, and so some are cigar related, some are not, you know, some have a little bit more, are a little bit deeper, some are not. So it's just all over the place. Uh, so let's start with something that's cigar related. So uh, would you, would you gravitate more towards box press or a traditional Parejo? A uh, traditional Parejo. Okay. Um, Pacific Coast cuisine or Gulf Coast Gulf Coast cuisine? So I know you spend time in both. I'm going to go Gulf Coast cuisine. New Orleans is my favorite place on earth to eat. All right. What's uh, what's like one of your go tos when you go there? What's oh, what's a, what's a dish? I, or a oh, I, it's so specific that like we've got restaurants that we go to just for the specific dish. Like you know, or go to Mr. B's for uh, for the soft shell, you know, fried crabs, the, you know, it's, it's sick. It's really sick. I have a, I, I am in the category that was ecstatic to hear the PCA going back to New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> I might, I might have to follow you around, man. Cause I, I, I have to admit I'm a little lost in that city sometimes. Uh, but, uh, because there, I know there is such great food, but I, I want to get off of bourbon street. I want to get away from the tourism and, so if you know some spots, that's great. I know lots of spots. We got a great list. Trust me, we'll take care of you there. Sounds good. All right. So tr- speaking of travel, would you rather visit the Taj Mahal or the Colosseum in Rome? I'm probably going to go Colosseum. Okay. All right. Jeans or slacks? Definitely going jeans. Okay. You have a specific color. Do you like the good classic, the denim blue? I, or... I'm a traditionalist. I'm a, I have an affinity for Levi's. Levi's. Oh man, classics. Uh, all right. I should have asked this question before. Do you have a nut allergy? I don't. Okay, good. So crunchy, crunchy peanut butter or creamy or creamy smooth peanut butter. I'm kind of on the skippy side, creamy smooth. All right. Which is the right side for anyone else listening or anyone else who cares because crunchy period of butter is just weird. Um, <laughs> I'll say it. I don't care. It's fucking weird. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's go back to where you live now. Fresno State football or Fresno State basketball? Fresno State football. Okay. Have you, have you been to a lot of football games? Yeah, I'm a, a season ticket holder. for. Fresno oh, okay. State. All right. Yeah. Awesome. I know. I know you got kids. Uh, do you do you, oh. do you take them to the game? Do you take them to the games? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a family ordeal. Yeah, oh, it's, it's a, uh, one of the uh, the the few things that we uh, 
enjoy about uh, Fresno State is the football season. All right. I want a little twist on this because this is about kids. I've got two boys, and I, I, I would love to have more kids one day. So I, I thought this would be a fun question. Let's take you back to the age you started having children. Okay. Here are your choices. You can have the same amount of kids you have now, or you can have more kids. Um, oh, that's a good one. Um, I'm happy with the amount of kids I have now. I wish I would have started a little earlier. That's something you'll never hear. No, I actually feel the same way. I really do. I really do. I really wish I had started earlier. And yeah, because I, because I, I want, I want more kids. So yeah, uh, I want more kids though. Even though you're happy with this, in the but yeah, I wish I, I, could, I, I could, I could have, I could have more kids. I, I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. It's not in the cards per se, but um, uh, I wouldn't have mind starting earlier. And I, I did start. I, I felt like I started pretty young comparatively to a lot of folks. I started at 26, um, but I would have no qualms going back in time and starting earlier. How, how many kids do you have? I have two boys. You have two boys too. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. My, my oldest just turned eight and then I have a three-year-old who's about to turn four in October. So. And, and may I ask how old, how old are you? I'm 39. So, so we're, so I'm 41. My oldest is, uh, is 15 now. Okay. So, yeah. They're, and they're three years apart. Uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any qualms having gone through what I've gone through to even start even earlier. Um, I, that seems to be very contradictory to what people, I think, I think people in general today feel like, um, uh, that, you know, you start, you, it's better to maybe start having children as you're more set and older in life. And, you know, a lot of that comes from, uh, you know, going back to my father, I had always kind of hoped that, you know, by the time my father was, uh, um, retired that he could sit in the office and, and work with me and we could actually both work together and uh, it would be, that would be fun. And unfortunately, you know, that's not in the cards, but uh, I think that way, even about my kids, you know, I started taking my oldest, who's 15 on the road with me uh, when we go and do cigar. Uh, oh, that's event. cool. And so it's, um, uh, I look, I, I really, it's probably my most enjoyable part of spending time together. Um, and, uh, you know, if one of these days he wants to get in the business, it'd be really cool to have him, uh, in the same office and I could be a pain in his ass. And there you go. But yeah. You. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I wish I had started around, around the age that you started. That would have been, that'd been cool. But, uh, so speaking of, the, yeah, speaking of the business, <laughs> rather have 25 count boxes or 20 count boxes. I'm going to say 20 because, well, 25 makes better business sense from our side. 20 count is where we're at. And I'm, I'm happy with that. I think if retailers wanted it, they would probably want 10 count boxes, but yeah, there's, there's never a good number for that. True. All right. Just a couple more of these. So this one's a little different. It's not too, cho well, it's sort of two choices. Um, I'm excluding Fresno and Biloxi. Okay. Cause those are the places that you spent the most time. It seems like what place would you choose to live out of all the places you've lived? 
Um, I'd probably choose Texas. I'd probably go and live in Texas. I, oh, I good like man. Playing to the crowd. I like it. Thank you. <laughs> I, 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 I like San Antonio a lot. And, Me too. Uh, and um, I like Texas a lot. It, it, um, there's just a lot of redeeming values about it. And I, I would probably choose Texas Vince in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love San Antonio. I'm from the Dallas Fort Worth area. That's where I live. But um, I'm, I'm, I was born and raised in El Paso, Texas. So San Antonio is like the nice go between for me uh, yeah. between da- the Dallas Fort Worth area and my hometown um, without being my hometown. People are like, oh, would you ever go back home? And I'm like, no. <laughs> no, no, never would. So, if my if my kids ever said that they were like moving to El Paso and then they were going to settle down and raise a family there, I'd be so happy for them. It's a great place to raise a family. I grew up there, loved it, um, and uh, from that perspective. But I, you know, I couldn't wait to get away. I think it's like an every generation, like every other generational city. West Should Texas be. is almost a different country for Texas, right? It, it, it's it's a very different. Yeah, it's very different. Very, very, very different. Yes, thousand percent. Yeah. We talked about that familial Southern kindness and stuff. And like, there's really nice people in my hometown, but that is so much different than yeah. the Dallas Fort Worth. The Dallas Fort Worth is very, it's, that's, it's, it's, it's the South, right? And El Paso is just not, they're not, you know, they're, 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 it's, they're the Southwest United States. That's what that is. So, yeah. so um, all right. Last one. Uh, would you rather, Stop and smell the roses or pick wildflowers. I'd probably stop and smell the roses. Okay. All right. Well, that was the this or that segment, a little rapid fire for you. Going into this other one, we talked about your father and his time. So now we're going to talk about your time. And that plays in perfectly to the Asylum moment, which is brought to you by Asylum Cigars. Refuge is more than just a physical place. It can be state of mind. Some of life's greatest reflections can be found in our own personal asylum. Moments like these were made for Asylum Cigars. So light up an asylum and choose your refuge. So Ian, this this whole segment is about, you've probably had a few of these moments in your life. I'm trying to say, pick the best one or the number one that one, but something that comes to mind where like you had mentioned, alluded to earlier in our conversation, cigars are very much the cigar shop culture. We're a community-driven community. You know, like we smoke cigars together, the Holy Smokes group. It's about community and everything. But every so often we get to share a cigar with just ourselves. And it can be a moment maybe of celebration, maybe a moment of thought, seeking clarity, any number of reasons. What's a moment that comes to mind where you were just alone by yourself with a cigar. And if you can remember what the cigar was and what the moment was about, that'd be great. Wow. Tough question. I, I, um, hmm. I don't know if I have one particular moment because, um, my, my personal favorite moment of enjoying cigars is, uh, it's always the, first cigar in the morning alone with coffee and um and i try to do that as much as i can because i feel like that's the real time when i can taste everything about that cigar and uh it lets me figure out what i'm gonna do for the rest of the day and so I try to take that moment all the time and it's always, it's always in the morning. It's always with a cigar. 
it's always that first one. And um, yeah, it's just uh, probably if I had, there's one moment, it's going to be in that time frame for sure. Awesome. What was your cigar this morning? Uh, La Madrina Shade. Okay. And the Robusto. Nice. I, I do that every Sunday. I wish I could do it every day. Maybe they'll get it to a point in my life when I could do it every day, but I, I do that every Sunday. I can't do it every day, but I, I do it often. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> do it often. <laughs> um, well, that was perfect. That was our asylum moment. Refuge is more than just a physical place. It can be a state of mind. Some of life's greatest reflections can be found in our own personal asylum. So light up an asylum and choose your refuge. Or in Ian's case, it's every morning. Or almost every morning, a cup of coffee. So um, we've talked a little bit about food. We mentioned the, the Gulf Coast and talking about New Orleans here and some things. So this is our next segment is brought to you by Postania Cigar. It's called Everybody Eats. If you always make sure that your servant's towel is bigger than your appetite, everybody will always get theirs. Postania Cigars is more than just great cigars made by cool people. They embody an attitude of gratitude and grit. With Postania, everybody eats. So wanted to ask this what is a um the best experience or notable experience that you can remember of eating with other people uh <laughs> most notable i a lot of i've had a lot of really notice <laughs> a lot of notable moments with eating with folks uh one of the few things that i enjoy at the trade show every year is the fact that I get to sit down with our guys and a couple friends and enjoy a great meal together. And usually it's a couple of our brokers and national salesmen, just that. And every year it's notable. It's always notable. There's always a, uh, there's always a, uh, um, there's always a time where it's notable and, there are some traditions that we even have, you know, my, uh, Alex S is our, our, he's been with me forever. And, um, and we, we always go to the same restaurant every year at the first day of the trade show every year. And that's always notable. And, okay. uh, I always look forward to it every year because it's, uh, we think about all the previous years. <laughs> and so it's, do it's you, always, do you mind sharing the restaurant or is it a secret? Yeah. It's a, we go to Capitol Grill. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you get something different each time or do you like to do you gravitate towards a specific dish? Yeah, we, it, it doesn't matter. You know, we, we just it's it's really never even about the uh, the food at that point. At some point, it just always becomes the, the camaraderie. And it's always one of those. God, I can't believe we made it this year. <laughs> Hopefully we'll be here next year. And it's one of the uh, things I look forward to every year at the trade show. Uh, but I've had a lot of one of the things. I mean, I loved eating. I, I love food, I, you know. And one of the things I love about traveling around the country and meeting people is going to places that are enjoyable and mean something to them there. And so there's always these great moments. of, you know, I can list off 30 or 40 of them of going to cool places and you know, I, I, just as example, we, when I took my son out to New York, New Jersey, and Philly, we, you know, we went to every cigar shop in Philly and asked them what the best Philly cheesesteak was and did a, uh, 
you know, a power tour of the best nice. Philly, according to Philly people, you know, and so that's super, super, uh, uh, that's super memorable, just that process of that and, and, uh, and whatnot, you know. Did you, uh, did you find a favorite when you were doing the tour? Yeah, yeah, Cafe Caramello. I think is the best followed by uh, I think it's Angelo's or Angelo Angelo's downtown. It's also a pizza place. It's also one of those um, top, you know, with a Dave Portnoy uh, places. Oh, okay. Cool. One of those places. Uh, but yeah, those two are the, I think the concessions from, from what I've gone through and from what other people have told me as well. But yeah, Cafe Caramel is pretty outstanding. Nice. Awesome. Well, we have come to the end of our show. We have one last question for you, Ian, and uh, uh, this is going to be another exclusionary uh, question. So, but it is our curveball question, which is always brought to you by Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Fastballs or curveballs, it doesn't matter since the company's inception. Steve Sock has been knocking them out of the park. Count them up eight consecutive years in the consensus top three. Congratulations to our good friend, Mr. Steve Saka. Now, before the curveball question, I normally don't ask this question this early, especially after the trade show wrapping up just a couple weeks ago and uh, everything, but we do have a little bit of an interesting twist this year. The trade show is coming up a lot sooner than it is uh, normally. Uh, the, is Dapper planning to uh, return to the trade show next year? Yeah, we'll, we'll try to be there every year that we can. So we'll, we've signed up for it. We'll certainly, certainly be there in some capacity. Perfect. Well, the Capitol Grill will get one more visit from you guys before uh, we make our way over to New Orleans. So good stuff. So here's the question. Um, Knox is off the table. Your original factory is off the table. What factory? Money doesn't matter. Tobacco doesn't matter. Like you can have the same access to the same tobacco to make the products you're making now where would you like what factory would you like dapper cigars to be made at if noxa and your original factory weren't available well you guys will find that out in the next six months so we've been blending cigars in a different factory in a different country oh nice little teaser look at that well you will uh you will see a a different uh side to our profile and uh, and uh, yeah, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, it's it's pretty cool. We're we're real uh, we're real excited to to bring different profiled products from a different factory with a different take on things. So yeah, people will find that out in six months. <laughs> I, I promise I'm not trying to pry too much. You obviously aren't prepared to talk about it right now, and that's and that's fine. I want to respect that, but. Since you have gone through this process of evaluating and 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 looking at you know other places to 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 manufacture your products, what what were some of the key things that you did evaluate when you were kind of making this decision? Um, so yeah, I mean we visited a lot of factories in a lot of countries. I did, and um, um, I think what the when I go and I look at factories today. I look at it with a much different light, having experienced things over the year and, and I, years. And I kind of have my, I have different 
more informed opinions about how cigars should be made. And uh, I, I, I look at, uh, one, I look at access to tobacco always. That's big. Um, simply because if we're going to make multiple cigars with the factory, we need to be able to uh, we need to be able to have access to different profiles of tobacco from different countries as well. So that's a huge thing. And then I need to really be able to resonate with the factory manager, and I need to resonate with who is in charge of their production if they're both the same people or if they're different. But I need to really have a connection. And, and ultimately, I also have to really admire what they're making out of the factory. Um, you know, I, I'll spoil it and say that it's in a different country. But if I took your question and you asked me the same question, said, hey, where would you make cigars if you could make them in Nicaragua? I probably would, uh, would, would without hesitation, say, uh, Papine, my father. Mm. Uh, you know, that, that's um, probably without hesitation. Um, Close running would be, uh, you know, AJ or Perdomo. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I admire a lot of what comes out of uh, Papine's factory. I admire a lot of both from Papine and both from Tatuaje, all kind of one and the same per se. But, you know, and, and their access to tobacco and the fact that they grow a lot of tobacco now. And, yeah, I mean, uh, and, and their overall how they run their operations and how uh, tremendous that is. Yeah. I, I would say that without a doubt. Uh, yeah. A lot of it goes into it night and it's not just the size, even though Papine's a huge, huge factor, it's a huge situation. It, there has to be some size element, but more importantly, there's got to be experience. There's got to be access to tobacco. And there's also got to be a willingness to do something a little different and willingness to experiment a little bit. Um, there has to be a flexibility on the sides on the side of the people making the cigars because um, we're trying to make cigars that offer different profiles and different blends and different presentations to people. So we obviously do not want to do the same thing over and over again. And I think what's convenient for factories of a big or any factory is to make the same things over and over again. It makes sense from a uh, from a uh, you know from a cost perspective and ease yeah. of production but to be able to make things that are that are a little bit unique and a little bit uh, uh, more um, a little bit more experimental is what we're looking at so yeah awesome i i have to imagine this is the case so i know the answer to the question but it's just interesting having it out said out loud i mean the were were you as hand because i know how hands-on you are in the blending process and everything the i, I guess sort of the exception of the Disvolato Disla, but were you as just were you able to be just as hands-on at this new factory as you are have been at Noxa? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that's a that's a no-brainer. Okay. Uh, we have we have to really and that's what we also have to really trust and resonate with the blenders, the production managers and the general man every everybody at the production level in the factory, we've got to really have a good connection with. We got to really be able to trust that whoever they're line guy is that's managing the production on the floor gets what we're doing understands what we're doing and isn't one of those people that does what they want to do despite what you tell them um, because that's just how they do it we want to we want to be able to go down the road and go hey look help us get to here with your knowledge but trust me let's use this let's go this way let's try this 
and having a factory that is willing to do that, it's uh, difficult to find. And then also having a factory that has access to tobacco. doesn't mean that they necessarily have to have all the tobaccos in reserve, but just that they have the ability to get access to that tobacco consistently. Uh, that's going to be a that's, a, that's a big one for us. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see how this will, will, uh, will play out. Yeah. Awesome. I have to say the idea, I know that they're not it cause you just, but you just alluded to them because it's outside of Nicaragua, but the idea of Ian Reith playing with the bourbon barrel aged tobacco that Perdomo has that's, or the style that Pepin has with the double binder. That's kind of exciting in either way. <laughs> That'd be really cool. <laughs> I, I I think the Pepin's uh, like the ultimate intimidation, right? Because you're like going in there going, okay, well, what are we going to make that's going to be better than what you already make? <laughs> it's like <laughs> you want to bring something to the table and uh, just, ever, just being able to learn from people that you haven't dealt with or you haven't uh, made cigars with. That's, that's very exciting in and of itself. And especially if it's people that you look up to or it's people that you know, or like, whoa, man, these guys, man, what can I learn from, from them? So, yeah, but those are all factories that on the top of my mind are impeccable factories. You know. Well, the answer to the curveball segment will be found out in six months and we're excited about that. So that's good stuff coming for me and Reith of Dapper Cigars. And that concludes our show, everybody. Thank you so much for everyone hanging out with us uh, late as always on a Sunday evening. And we had a great conversation with Ian and uh, we're looking forward to uh, to seeing what he is uh, coming down the pipe later on. And we'll see him at the trade show uh, early early uh, in uh, 2024. So really exciting stuff to come. Uh, so. Uh, without further ado, everybody, that wraps it up. So we appreciate all those likes, shares, and comments. Keep them coming on the Facebook page. Check out our YouTube channel as well, El Fumar. You can hit the subscribe button when you're on that page. If you are a subscriber, that's fantastic. Likewise, if you're listening to us later on podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts, including iHeartRadio, do me a favor, hit the download, subscribe, or review button, or all three. If you already are a subscriber, that's great. Hit unsubscribe, though, but don't forget to hit resubscribe because that really helps my numbers, and that you know really helps me out, and that way I can get great guests like Ian whenever I want. So do that for me, and that would be great. Um, but for everyone out there, as always, it's it's a, been a pleasure. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation for so long, Ian. Thank you so much for your time tonight. This is You mentioned you have a family. I've got a family, so time away from family is, is precious. And I don't take it lightly, and I'm very appreciative to you. So thank you so much. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity. Had a great time. We'll see you. All right. So for everyone out there, I'm Barry Duplissy, live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Azel, Texas. He's Ian Reith of Dapper Cigar Company. Guess what, everybody? We'll see you next time. <laughs>